talking about how we're not saying anything? Is that what you want to do for preamble? Isn't that what we yeah, usually do for that's preamble? Our, that's how preamble works, yeah. isn't it? Where like we started recording and then we're all super silent. Tradition. Yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's not do that then. Let's actually talk. Uh, and let's start the episode then. Welcome back, dear listeners, to Dance Robot Dance. To our uh, 132nd episode, I am Tim. I'm going to be hosting this week. I'm back from the ether, the ether being Northern Ireland. So I was at a sales conference for my company. And uh, with me this week, I've got Mark. How's it going, guys? And we have Paul back with us from Korea again. Hello, everyone. Those were words. Yeah, that's high in Korea. Polite okay. high. Polite, Polite high? high. <laughs> what's, what's like, fuck you high? <laughs> uh well it depends on who you're talking to korea has some pretty interesting uh linguistic traditions it's pretty cool anyway <laughs> uh okay before we get started we have a couple of uh sort of housekeeping things to take care of the first one is kind of minor some of you might have noticed uh, and seen on our facebook post for last week's episode there was an issue i think where maybe the Last episode got uploaded again for basically episode 130, the Aquaman episode, got uploaded originally instead of episode 131, which is the episode Mark and Paul did on cover songs. But it should all be remedied now. So if for whatever reason that happened to you, you should be able to go back to you know your podcatching service or whatever software, iTunes, and, and get the correct copy. So our apologies. Sorry about that. Yeah, it was my bad. I apologize. <laughs> Firefox just goes to the last directory it was in. I was like, oh, DRD, blah, 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 that MP3. <laughs> Done. Uploaded. That looks right. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, what I, the worst part was, I went and checked it and was like, man, those times are different in iTunes. Okay. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I just kind of walked away from it. So, that's what I, that's what <laughs> you should have me and Paul's ramblings now. So, yes. Yeah. I did. I, I got it. I got it uh, a couple days ago and sat through and listened to it. And yeah, there's definitely some. I wish I hadn't been. Uh, listening to it while I worked so that I could have actually like fucking found some of those covers and shit and downloaded oh, shit. them. But we didn't do the Facebook and do that like, properly and like actually put our. I know. <laughs> I definitely called it out yesterday. I posted uh, like on the in the U- or in the comments on the Facebook post saying like, uh, yeah, so where are those YouTube I'll links? Go do that. Yeah, I just I just saw that this morning. <laughs> I didn't even see a notification for that. I gotta like get back in there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not getting no, all those notifications, but anyways, that's inside baseball. Getting too many, so yeah. Yeah. In term, there is also some other sort of inside baseball that we need to bat clean up on and make everybody aware of. As some of you have probably noticed, Christy has been conspicuously absent from the podcast the last few weeks, and essentially what has happened is that she has just like her life and her extracurricular life, I, I guess, outside of her normal job life has just sort of kicked into high gear lately. Uh, and I mean, Christy was always busy at the best of times, but now she's even more so. And so what, what, what we've actually got is a statement that Christy asked us to read. So I'm going to uh, read this. This is from Christy. It says, Hey, dear dears, sorry you haven't heard from me recently. In the last two months, some pretty big things have been happening, and I've realized that it means I'll have to step away from my regular hosting duties. As much as this sucks, I can assure you that I'm not gone permanently. I'll be coming back as a regular guest slash host when I can, and we'll keep the geek cred going. In the meantime, you're in the capable, nerdy hands of Tim, Mark, and now more often, Paul. 
I'm sure you'll all enjoy the deep dives the boys will take in comics, music, and more. And when I do return, I'll shake it up with Harry Potter trivia. No one knows my love of Gareth Vicarian and his barb penis. That's Tim inserted that. And awkward tentacle porn references. That was actually Christy. So, yeah, that happened. Well, I got first things first. Welcome, like, officially to the show, Paul. So there you go. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It's always been a fun time guesting on Dance Robot Dance, and I'm glad to be a regular contributor now. It's going to be really fun. Although I don't, I'm sure I will pale in comparison to Christy's manic energy. I will do my best to kick it up a notch for everyone. You have your own brand of manic energy there, Paul. (laughs) I suppose that's true. We will all miss Christy, though, and I look forward to her return very much. Yeah, and like she said, she's not, you know, stepping away forever. Uh, This is just sort of temporary. She's got some really cool stuff going on right now that hopefully we'll be able to tell you about at some point. And you better believe we will once we're able to. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess the, the biggest thing for me is just to reassure our listeners that Mark and I are not going anywhere. We have no fucking lives outside this podcast (laughs) and our job, basically. And Mark doesn't even have a fucking job right now. So Resident (laughs) Evil's a job, isn't it? Resident Evil's a job. (laughs) (laughs) So the two the two of us are are very much committed to this, and probably what you're gonna get is more sort of we'll we'll definitely have more of Paul. I don't know, you know, Paul is can be a little tricky to schedule with since he's halfway around the fucking world. Yeah. But uh, so you might end up getting some more of, you know, the Tim and Mark sort of two mans where we deep dive into stuff that you know maybe christy wasn't as into frankly i consider it a miracle that we were able to get christy to like stick with and focus on the podcast for two and a half years more or less full time considering how busy she obviously was even before things kicked up recently and how many non-worked you know things she does compared to mark and myself so yeah yeah like this podcast is basically my extracurricular activities so that is uh yeah, Christy's always super busy, and we're very happy she's yeah. going to go do this stuff. So, yeah, uh, we're looking forward. I'm sure she'll probably be back in like two weeks or whatever, just because. Yeah, exactly. And she'll get sick of us chatting because she's still in our group chat. <laughs> all of our idiocy. So, uh, maybe she'll miss yeah. us sooner than we think. So, who knows? Yeah. And I mean, well, we had her as a full time host. Uh, not to say that we might not again some point in the future. We were able to do some really cool stuff that I'm glad that we got to do. Like, we got to record some you know awesome episodes in person we all got to know each other a lot better than when we started this thing we got to like fucking all go to dragon con together so it was uh it was fun while it lasted and hopefully we'll return again at some point are we gonna start telling them about like how soon it is when you two little bastards move back here or is that uh do we keep (laughs) (laughs) no we gotta we gotta keep some suspense Uh, well all right It's fine. <laughs> we'll keep suspense. Yeah. I will be returning to Canada in in the future, actually. As will I. Yeah. I've got a pretty set date, so that's that's pretty exciting. But uh yeah, soon we won't have to worry about a uh, 14-hour time fucking yeah. gap. That, <laughs> yeah. Or 13 hours. K- Korea doesn't do daylight savings time. Mm. They just don't <laughs> do it. So it, it, it that get, makes it even more confusing depending on the season. So there you go. But the other silver lining here is that this does, you know, sort of not to say, you know, that we're not going to miss Christy, but this will give us a chance to cover some of the topics that Mark and I have really been itching to cover, you know, stuff that we've been actively on the podcast hounding Christy over for month or months, if not years at this point. Yeah, well, the one we're doing that they can all see on the title. Yeah. I don't know why we play coy. It never makes any sense to me when we play coy about the same shit. Because like on the cover, it says that we're doing the Kevin Smith movie. Yes. So like, <laughs> hey man, we're, we're just going to dive into this shit and like start doing the stuff that we've been dying to do. 
here it is we're doing kevin smith this week so and we'll get some fresh perspectives on stuff from paul as well we might have a chance to bring in some other guest hosts maybe people that you have heard on the podcast before or people that you haven't uh, to get more sort of fresh perspectives but yep. the through line will definitely be mark and myself and uh, and paul def- more often than before so. as well <laughs> But yeah, so uh, let us know, you know, what you think about that and, you know, give Christy your well wishes when this episode goes up on, on the Facebook post and tell her you're going to miss her and make her feel real bad for doing this. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you should do that. I am going to find like the worst possible screenshot of Christy <laughs> to use for this week's episode. Because <laughs> I got some doozies of her making faces into her webcam yeah. while we were recording a couple times and like. Yeah, we yeah. share a couple. You should just make a, make a little collage. A big, yeah, collage, you know, like Andy Warhol <laughs> style. Yeah. <laughs> Christine or Muppet face. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, now that that is sort of out of the way and we've pulled that bandaid off, I mean, obvi- honestly, it wasn't that much of a secret. Mark is not great at tiptoeing around things. So the last last week, especially. <laughs> to be fair, we have been tiptoeing it around it for like a couple months now with Christy kind of thing. Like as we like try to schedule the podcast and they get canceled at the last minute. And we're like, holy shit, can we just like do an episode without me trying like. Yeah. <laughs> Tim and I have been pulling our hair out a little bit with scheduling. So or at least I've been pulling my hair out with scheduling. So now, you know, you guys all know sort of what's been going on behind the scenes with us lately. And uh, we yeah, wish Christy no ill will or anything like that. It's just things got crazy like in the way. Yeah, exactly. So with that, we're going to keep rolling on. Things are not going to be changing around here much in terms of overall format. So that means that it is time for us to get into this week's nerdy news. Dominating the nerdy news this week is more and more casting announcements about uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune movie. Oh, this is this podcast is just going to turn it more and more into you guys just fucking chastising me for my shitty French accent, isn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's also <laughs> going to probably me, turn into me... <laughs> getting sick of fucking hearing about this dune movie until it comes out like, every, time an, every time an update happens yeah it'll be the twofold the twofold energy of me going oh fuck tim's gonna have to do his goddamn french thing and then we're gonna have to hear about the dune i don't movie know again. i i if they All keep right. fucking announcing shit like this i'm gonna be perfectly happy to keep hearing stuff about this so the biggest one is that and this is literally just out a couple hours before we recorded is javier bardem of uh, no country for old men of one of the pirates movies yeah is uh, has been cast as a uh, stillgar basically the leader of the fremen tribe the sort of desert people and i think that that sounds like pretty fucking awesome casting we'll concur yeah, there is also mm-hmm. talk this is one of those reports say but because we're already talking about this i'm going to throw it in here that oscar isaac could be playing duke leto atreides who is basically the political leader of Arrakis, the planet where the majority of Dune takes place. And I do really like Oscar Isaac. That one I'm not, I'm a little weird on that one. Like he doesn't really strike me as sort of like the regal leader type, type character, more as like the lovable ruffian, but we'll see. I think you're just, you got this is Star Wars casting. So far. yeah. So maybe yeah. he can pull it off. Well, and Deus Machina too. Acting. Right? Uh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, where he was like kind of, I didn't see, skeezy, swarthy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that dance scene is so good though. <laughs> anyway, um, Did, you know Did I what? Mm-hmm. play it? Tim, there was Alex Machina. No, no, I didn't see. No, oh, okay. I should. It's, it's it, was, it was really good. But more Oscar Isaac is always a good thing. So yeah, yeah, he's awesome. He's an awesome actor. So it'll be. I mean, I think it'll be interesting for us to see him in a different type of sort of uh, role. So 
And then the other casting news from the Dune movie is that Zendaya from the Spider-Man movies, who plays MJ and is a former Disney Channel star, apparently going to be playing Chani, who's another of the Fremen Desert People characters, which that one I'm kind of mad about, but whatever. They're just the point is they're getting a really fucking interesting cast together for this movie. All right, moving on from a multitude of Dune casting announcements, we got some news this week about the Matt Reeves solo Batman movie that apparently is no longer going to have Ben Affleck in it. Not necessarily because Affleck doesn't want to do it, although that is still baitable, but uh, apparently because it is going to focus on a younger version of Batman and is going to be more of a world's greatest detective movie rather than like grim gritty, like Batman just getting like just fucking abusing the shit out of his body sort of Batman like we got with Batfleck and the Dark Knight movies. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I am happy about this. Uh, Like, I'm I'm sad that we didn't get a good Batfleck movie. Like, I'm not sure if I'm not sure that he necessarily deserved it, but like he, he didn't really get a chance. Like those, the movies that he were in were just ugh. the movies that like, he's in are bad. He's the best part of them for the most part, though. It's like that's my the big downer on this is like he is the better part of especially Batman v Superman. He's the more entertaining out of all of the aspects of that movie until Gal Gadot gets involved. Like, I, yeah, right? like, <laughs> okay, I was about to say, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, else in that movie is a mess, and even the Superman stuff's a mess. But like his part, I like him as Bruce. Like I like him as an older Bruce. I never had a problem with Affleck. Like yeah. I'm bummed that we're not getting a, getting more of that. Like especially in a solo capacity, because they could have done the way they built that world. Now you could do the crazy stuff and like get into the Arkham Asylum kind of like him taking on like a big killer croc kind of monster as opposed to yeah, like if you're gonna go more detective. Yeah. It might be like. I don't know. I like. I'm psyched for it. Like, cast John Hamm, shoot it for eighty million bucks, and get out of the god, get out of your own way with it. Fine. I don't know about John Hamm as a younger Batman. Oh, that's true. They want younger, right? Yeah. See, I would have recast him. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, find somebody younger who can do it, yeah. and then go to town. I guess. I don't know who you cast at that point. Cause yeah. Because yeah. we're old. We only know old people. They dug themselves kind of a weird grave when it came to the tone of Batman, the character in particular in the Snyder verse, which is not really the Snyder verse anymore. Just kind of like um, the DCEU in general. So I'm glad that they're going for a lighter, well, as light as Batman can get. I like the idea of world's greatest detective, like put him up against a version of the Riddler or something that is or that's the one that's been coming up the most in the room like in the uh, yeah. speculation is like everybody's like oh they're gonna finally do the Riddler properly I'm like alright you do I'll a cool it. like uh, year zero kind I mean, of story why not I I yeah. feel like the yeah. finally cast David Tennant or is he too um, old now too mm, I don't know that, I would love that he's a little long in the tooth for it yeah, yeah. I would love it too yeah I'm happy for Batman soft reboot kind of reboot <laughs> I just want a Batman movie. Like I don't know. Like that's their money making franchise. It's the only one of those movies that really makes like guaranteed money for them as a Batman movie, regardless of if it's good or bad. Yeah. Especially if it's good though. And like they just can't get a movie out. Like why is this so fucking hard? So just please put a Batman movie out already. Yeah. It makes no sense. And if it if it happens to be good, all the better. Please, please. Well, I'd, I'd be excited <laughs> if it was good. Yeah. I mean, we got a bunch of good ones. So yeah, you always use a couple more bit of news also relating to the dc movies did you guys see the harley quinn slash birds of prey teaser that came out this week they like a little 20 second i sure did yeah i did yeah that was cool yeah 
was cool. It's one of those ones where like you can freeze frame it, you know, to get all the information. And obviously the internet has done that. It gives us yeah. basically first looks at all of the characters. So obviously Harley Quinn, it gives us first looks at Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the Huntress, and she looks fucking badass. It gives us our first look at Journey Smollett Bell as Black Canary, Rosie Perez as Renee Montoya, Ella J. Basco as Cassandra Kane. That one looks kind of weird. She looks kind of like a street kid or something like that. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that one, but I mean... Yeah, but we also see Victor Zaz in there, Ewan McGregor as Roman Sionis, who will eventually become Black Mask. Then there's one that we don't know because they only show like a torso of somebody holding a bat that could be Harley, but doesn't have like the white skin. So there's a lot of theorizing. Also has a yellow dress. Yeah. A lot of Barbara Gordon theorizing going around on the internet for that uh yeah. the girl in that that yellow dress. So well, she is holding a bat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like not something they usually do with yeah. the Batman stuff. They don't usually go down that particular road. So I think the vibe of that looks pretty cool. I mean, I'll fucking watch Margot Robbie all goddamn day as Harley Quinn. I don't care how shit the movie is, I will watch the shit out of her playing Harley yeah. Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's already like rumors going around about this. They're already they want to do like a it's like so the next movie is Sirens and then they do Sirens versus mm. uh, Birds of Prey kind of thing oh. as the third movie. So like, yeah, yes. yeah, I'm like that's yeah. Give me a fucking Catwoman and, and Poison Ivy and like Harley sort of torn between the two or whatever. Oh man, I just want that Sirens movie for like a Harley Poison Ivy heist <laughs> montage. Like I just can't wait for that. I want it so bad. The only problem is you don't get to have that like five seconds where Kevin Conroy scolds <laughs> them at the end. Kind of thing. Like you, he finally catches up and is like, "All right, I got to put you guys away. We've had enough fun." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Like, you gotta have that one Kevin Conroy moment. So like, whoever's Batman has to show up in that montage yeah. and have the Kevin Conroy yeah. moment. Yeah, and then just go away. Yeah, this franchise always had potential to be so much fun, and already was like from the beginning from its original run was already pretty cinematic and kind of a James Bondy kind of way. And the, the dynamic between Oracle and black Canary was always like a huge selling point could have been, I'm so pumped for, I'm usually not excited about DCEU stuff period, but this has got me hyped. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one for sure. And I, I Mark and I've talked about this recently. It seems to be that DC is kind of stepping away from this, like, Hey, let's make everything super interconnected to like, hey, let's just make some fucking standalone shit that's fun and works on its own kind of thing. And to be fair, that's kind of what Marvel did to start out with. And yeah. then, you know, they just gradually built it more into a more interconnected kind of universe. So maybe that's what DC is is working on right now is they're having a rebuilding period, which I think is maybe wise. Yeah, if they, if they just shut up and just make some decent movies and then decide to interconnect them later, then, hey, guess what? You did what Marvel did yeah. and you shut up and get out of your own way about it. Yep. Yeah. Which is basically what they needed to do. For <laughs> yeah. the and in that same vein, there are now multiple reports saying that James Gunn is going to be doing the next Suicide Squad movie, which is not necessarily going to be a sequel to the first one, but more of a sort of soft reboot. I don't see how they wouldn't have... Margot Robbie back in it as Harley Quinn, but it sounds like the rest of the team could be very different, which I mean, makes sense. There have been plenty of different incarnations of the Suicide Squad over the year. There have been a couple people that sort of usually show up on it. Like you have like Deadshot and Captain Boomerang and shit like that, but you don't have to have them to have a Suicide Squad team. You know, all it has to be is like a bunch of ex-cons, yeah. well, not even ex-cons, like convicts that are just trying to work off their sentences sort of thing. So, yeah, there's Catman 
Uh, he's in. Yes. He in the Suicide Squad. Yeah, I think in the in the, the Gail Simone Squad? era of the yeah. Suicide Squad, yeah. which was also sort of the Secret Six era. And if yeah, I was thinking I, I was thinking he was Secret Six because I remember Bane's yeah. kind of associated in there somewhere, but like he was never in the Suicide Squad. I don't think exactly, but like they were rotating yeah, around yeah. kind of thing. But that right, right, right. That Secret Six team was awesome, but like short li- and short lived. But if James Gunn can bring some of that fucking Guardians of the Galaxy magic together with some of that like Gail Simone like Suicide Squad like villain team magic, then that could be. F- Oh god, oh, like man. that gets me hard just thinking about it. They actually just yeah. made like turn Suicide Squad into a stealth Secret Six book or movie. Then yeah. they'd probably be. I mean, how many characters? They have to introduce everybody, but they got to introduce. Yeah, exactly. They just do it like they did in this. That was one of the, yeah. my favorite things about Suicide Squad was those intro splash screens that they did for all the characters. Those are perfect. Yeah. Like that was straight yeah. out of a fucking comic. And you do that, and you get like that that Secret yeah. Six team, like Ragdoll, uh, Scandal Savage, Bane, Catman. The other ones, there was like a Baroness type character or something like that. But yeah, like that could be that could be really a really interesting dynamic, and I think would work really well on the silver screen because you can almost you can really just pull like the team dynamic straight from that book. And the best part is you can pull those characters like it, the interconnectedness eventually comes through where you pull these characters into. Other yeah. Movies. Oh, knockout was the other knockout. Yeah. Big knockout character. was one of the other characters on that team. She was one of the female furies from yeah. apocalypse where, and I mean, they've already introduced apocalypse in the oh, fucking uh, DCEU. So that's one step that you don't have to take. Yeah. Well, they've already gone kind yeah. of whole hog into like the aliens and shit. So I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to worry about that too much. There was another, ca- Oh, Cheshire was yes. in one of the iterations yeah. of, Secret yeah, absolutely. Too. And she was. Yeah, that was cool. an excellent, excellent run. It'd be nice if uh, that DC Universe thing was available up here, so I could back <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can find it other ways. And even more DC news this week because the CW has just. I don't think the CW. I don't see that. Think they cancel anything anymore because they just fucking renewed absolutely everything. Uh, Arrow has been renewed yeah. for season eight. Flash Nothing and Supergirl me. have been renewed. Yeah, I fuck. Legends Tomorrow, Black Lightning. Black Lightning is probably the one I'm most excited about because it is fucking awesome. Is it good? I gotta get back on that one. I couldn't sit through like the first season. I was just like, I don't need another one of these shows, and I just kind of tuned out real fast. And I don't think it was because of the show. I think it was just because I was like, I was CW at saturation point. Yeah, it is a very different vibe than the other CW shows, and tackles some much harder to handle issues for sure than uh, the normal sort of just bread and butter in uh, in light of netflix canceling luke cage which was handling those issues kind of the same way i yeah. probably maybe i should divert my attention to black lightning i'll have to take a look at it uh, yeah so. yeah i think black lightning definitely fills a maybe not a hundred percent of that void but a big chunk of that luke cage void yeah i'm gonna miss that luke cage void or whatever that sounds weird but anyway <laughs> you're gonna miss that huge <laughs> that huge luke cage hole yeah in my whatever all right let's keep moving <laughs> I did. I like stumbled into that. I'm apologizing right now. <laughs> now, yeah, now we got Paul to shake his head at us yeah. for those. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and okay, finally getting away from comic book stuff. Apparently, there is a new Stephen King series that's going to become to uh, be coming to CBS All Access. They're making a new series based on The Stand, uh, which has already had one adaptation. Oh, it was not great. Oh, that book. Yeah. <laughs> not not a favorite of yours? No, it's just like it's, No, mm-hmm. that's that's in the the era of Stephen King where like uh <laughs> he needs an editor real bad and then they released like mm. 
an unabridged version of the stand that was like an extra 800 pages or some shit. Ooh. It's insane. It's yeah. It was a tedious, it's a tedious, tedious, tedious. read. Is what it is. That's exactly what that, that describes. That exactly is tedious. Maybe it's an immersive reading experience. They're trying to get you to really feel like the characters in the book, like you're part of this just unending, tedious, long saga. Just want to die. Just want to die because you're halfway through it. Because that's basically what the stand. The stand is the ultimate. Like if you want somebody to kill themselves, you think they're on the edge. Give them the stand because it it might send them over the edge. That book is. Just <laughs> Jesus. There are so many Stephen King books after the eight, and even during the eighties, where like there there might have been some cocaine involved, but like there's oh, just no. no editing. And fuck, even the the it book, like it, it is a is it's it is a slog to get through. Skeleton Crew, what the fuck? And the stand also just. Same as like kind of Anne Rice syndrome, where it's just like you want them to hack away at so much because there's a good story there and you you can see it, but it's just it no, it just never gets there. It's just like oh, end my suffering. When it's frustrating because some of his late seventies, early eighties kind of stuff, like The Shining, Firestarter, Christine, Misery, Misery all amazing books around three hundred pages. Brevity is the soul of wit. There you go. <laughs> I don't think Stephen King is known for his wit in particular. Well, I don't know. On Twitter, he's pretty fucking mm. savage. I like him. Actually, he's he's uh, he's always been like that's part of his like his writing style is like always being kind of snarky about almost everything. Yeah, like, okay. Even in his descriptions of stuff, he's kind of shitty about everything. So. Well, this at least will be limited to a ten episode series. So hopefully, we'll not get into the real. <laughs> maybe, maybe this series. This will be like Game of Thrones, the series to game uh, of Thrones or you know song of ice and fire the books like really needed an yeah. editor and tv is going to be its editor <laughs> hey, I can, yeah. I, that's what everybody thought the original miniseries was going to be and it just was not like it just yeah it, yeah it just it into anarchy or whatever the fuck that miniseries yeah. <laughs> but uh, 10 episodes well, devoted to like three chapters <laughs> and you're just like what the fuck? <laughs> five seasons like guys that's how you get the good netflix numbers is five seasons like that's how you really five. It, right yeah. oh fuck I couldn't sit through that. There's no goddamn way. I gave up on The Walking Dead, and I love that comic. So, like, I not no way I could ever. Like, I'll never touch anything that says The Stand ever again. <laughs> well, that is not the only CBS horror series that got announced this week. This one is weird. Apparently, they are making a Frankenstein pilot where Frankenstein is a detective. Yeah, I saw that, and then I kind of just kept scrolling because I was like, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's like i read about like they're the fact they're like oh we're gonna do another contemporary sherlock holmes show but it's gonna be set in america and lucy Liu is gonna be watson i was like well that's i'm just never gonna watch that show like i just not it's not, yeah like i'm never gonna watch it like i love sherlock holmes I'm never gonna watch that show so, yeah but people do and obviously yeah, it's got you know quite a few seasons and is it canceled yet which one i think it's still going the other sherlock holmes series the American Sherlock Holmes series? Yeah, Elementary. I think Elementary. Right now. I'm not sure. Jesus. Elementary is still going. And apparently it got better. Like, once the the cast kind of gelled, Lucy Liu and yeah, what's his name yeah. from Hackers. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> I can never remember his name. <laughs> Lucy Liu and what's his name from Hackers. Once they got their chemistry going, apparently it turned into a pretty good, like, detective serialized kind of 
thing, but it's not something I'm going to dive into. Same with the Sleepy Hollow series, which is a detective show with Ichabod Crane. <laughs> I don't care. Same with the Frank. I don't just the, these shows are for. I don't know. I don't know who these shows are for. That's, who are these that, shows yeah, for? that's my fucking know. thing. Is like who was asking <laughs> for a police procedure featuring fucking Frankenstein's monster? Is it Frankenstein's like, monster or Frank like the doc? No, no, it's Frankenstein's monster. Is it police? Who, yeah. <laughs> that is so stupid. Do you have a fucking partner that's a goddamn fucking monkey too? I don't know. Maybe maybe, it, maybe it's like yeah. the the fucking like Mary Shelley's like maybe it's Anthony Hopkins playing you know like no, him as dude, the actual like Anthony Hopkins. It's not, no fuck De Niro. It's De Niro. De Niro. De Niro. De Niro. I did. I know. I always like that. You mistake. always De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucking hundred that's a hundred episodes ago callback that up but <laughs> but it's you know that that version of frankenstein was pretty well spoken maybe it's that version of frankenstein i don't know or yeah. frankenstein's monster to be technical that was the uh the book version if any of you guys have actually read the novel like yeah, the, yeah. the frankenstein back in high school yeah frankenstein's monster is a very eloquent character mm-hmm. which is fine it's just you know, there's going to be callbacks to like the Universal monsters, fucking Boris Karloff, neck and shit like that. And I, I yeah. just, you're just waiting for a woman to show up with a white streak in her hair, and you just know, oh, oh yeah. shit, <laughs> you absolutely know that's going to happen because um, it's going to be some big genre name too. It'll be like, I don't know, like Jerry Ryan will do it or something like that. It'll be somebody yeah. like nerd, yeah, yeah. and they'll they'll be like, or oh, it'll be Juliet Landau. That's who it'll be. I'll call yeah. that now. <laughs> right with a streak. Her hair or something yeah. like that. I just want someone to walk in like hunched over with a cane. They say, Oh, this is Igor. Actually, it's Igor. Whatever, you know, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like the question is like, instead of a bolt, do they just, is it a USB port? Is he just data? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't that know. Me. How does it work? It is apparently by one of the same guys that was behind elementary, which is not fucking surprising at all. No. But yeah. Why? Why? Why are we doing this? That's why. Mind the public domain yeah. characters for all they're worth. Yeah. yeah. All right. A couple more things to round out the news. One little bit of Marvel news. So with all of the Oscar buzz going with Black Panther right now, uh, it is coming back to theaters in honor of Black History Month. And it is coming back to theaters, I believe, for free. Really? Oh. Yeah. It's going to be playing for free in select theaters this month for, I think, about a, uh, a week. Cool. Which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's today, the day we're recording this, from February 1st until February 7th at 250 participating AMC theater locations. And there's two shows a day. So I think it's cool. I think it's also probably going to give some people an opportunity to go see it that might not have, you know, people that don't go to the movies because they can't afford it or whatever, you know, with so I'm perfectly happy to have many, many, many more people see Black Panther. Yeah, I think it's a good strategy for the for your consideration crowd. Like this is going to like up the profile, up the profile. It politicizes it because it's for Black History Month. Yeah. And it like the, the nomination was already kind of politicized, not just because of the, the racial politics of it, but also because this is the first superhero movie that has been nominated for an Oscar. And people mm-hmm. are like, well, we people are tired of the Oscar formula of like sad movies, limited release, depressing, uh, yeah. depressing, character driven, usually set in L.A. kind of thing. Usually have Meryl Streep or Glenn Close. Yeah, in alternating years. Yeah, we talked about yeah. that last yeah. week. <laughs> I know, I know, I listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
because Star Wars won Best Picture, you know, like in 1977. Return right? of the King uh, won Best Picture. Right. And yeah. it's th- this and that used to be more common. And I hope that I'm not necessarily like gunning for Black Panther to win Best Picture this year. For me, it's the favorite that is that I'm going for. But I'm glad that they're making the push for it because I think that we need to kind of if the Oscars want to maintain relevance, they need to kind of pivot away from the really inaccessible movies that are just I like feeling bummed out when I watch these movies. Like that's why I watch Oscar movies, but I also like having good movies recognized and not being ignored just because they were popular. Yeah. I've, I've shied away from more of like the Oscar favorite kind of movies in recent years. And a lot of it is because just in grad school, my fucking life was depressing enough. And now living in America is depressing enough as it fucking is. So I don't need this shit to like make me feel things because I feel things already in normal life. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to not feel yeah, things. Exactly. So movies are much more of an escape for me right now than like a hey, yeah. I want to go feel something kind of thing. I had a very adult yeah. moment when I was we were looking at the uh the nominations last week where I was like, man, I've just kind of seen some of these movies in the course of being alive at this point because like I saw Black Klansman just because it's a Spike Lee movie and I felt like I should watch it. That, that one kind of stuff. Yeah, that one I still want to see. It's a lot. fucking good. You need to see it, Ghost. Yeah. How have you not seen that one? You like like I know. That's great up your alley, man. You'd enjoy it. It's really good. Tough sit. Yeah. Like tough. it's been on my list for ages. But yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that word. Those words. Tough sit. The uh, like. It's just brace yeah. yourself. Why I can't like. I want to. I like. I know. Hey, I'm right. There. I want to go see those movies. But <laughs> I'm right there with you. Just I just watched that, that one yeah. in particular was because it was Spike Lee. I I was like, I'm probably gonna get like. This is gonna suck kind of to get through, but I I feel like I need to do it. Yeah. But I had seen a number yeah. of movies already, so I was like, wow. Yeah. Look at me go. I still yeah. think they should have just given it to the Dark Knight in 2008. That would have like made everybody's like balls relax a little bit about all this stuff. Right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the very last news bit is honestly just here for me because I'm happy about it and it's fun. John Favreau shared a picture from the production of The Mandalorian of a very deep fucking Star Wars cut R5D4, the droid with the bad motivator unit that fucking breaks down in front of the Jawa Sandcrawler that uh, then results in Luke picking uh, R2-D2 instead. He is in the Mandalorian. (laughs) So it's that fucking like boxy, like astromech droid with the red and white color scheme. And I just, I love that sort of weird fucking throwback interconnected shit. Me, uh, uh, when when Tim like told us this in the group chat, like sent this story to us in the group chat, I was like, wait, like I had to, figure out who this droid was but i was like <laughs> of course it's fucking named of course that fucking droid needs to have a story like that absolutely because star wars this is one of the problems i have with star wars like everything needs to have like a, a story <laughs> like um that was one of the problems i had with uh the solo movie was that like han's blaster needed to be a gift a special blaster and then there is the bowcaster bolt sash thing? thing that chewy yeah. wears oh yeah this yeah the sash thing the bandolier anyway yeah why did that have to be special why can't it just be a why why does everything have to have a fucking origin story <laughs> like we're getting to the point where it's like like the i don't know it's just star wars has this thing about like every 
fucking corner of every frame is sacred and needs to be dissected to the point where it's just and i love star i watch star wars all the time and i still know <laughs> I, I hate that yeah. that impulse of this yeah. fandom <laughs> of like everything needs to be fucking special and i really should have like warned everybody ahead of time that, like my lukewarm reaction to star wars is like exacerbated <laughs> by my brother who did, has like problems <laughs> with that franchise. So I forgot about that, but I was like, we should get Paul to join Dance Robot Dance. And then like he started on the Star Wars thing, and I was like, oh shit, he hates this stuff. Like he just goes off on rant <laughs> every time it comes up. And here we are halfway through uh, a Paul rant. And I'm like, oh yeah, here it is. Yeah. There you go. Hey, this is hey, this is what yeah. you guys signed on for. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah this does not diminish my love for star wars in general but it does bug but i do like the the i like the fact that the like favreau is obviously passionate about the universe so that's cool but it's always good when you've got like a definite actual fan making these and the thing with like all the backstories and everything is like i grew up you know in sort of the in-between star wars world like when I sort of became first aware of Star Wars, the first trilogy was out. There was no other Star Wars content in sight except for like, you know, kitty cartoons and shit like that. And so everybody was just like dissecting every little screen and Lucasfilm fed into it. They would release shit that was like just about this fucking background character in the cantina or like just about this one of the bounty hunters that shows up on the Star Destroyer and shit like that. And so they were just like playing everybody for every dime they can get out, could get out of us. And it fucking worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kept people engaged long enough yeah. that when those prequels came out, regardless of what you think about their content and quality, they still made a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. So they sure did. <laughs> for better yeah. or worse. But I, for one, I can't wait to see R5-D4 make his return, even if it's just as a fucking cameo or something like that. We'll see. But that was everything that I had for Nerdy News. And I think with that and our sort of uh, preamble there, we've taken up more than enough time. And it is time to get to our Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week. Yay. No more Lonely Stings. Why, and that is the actual reason why I brought Paul aboard. I knew he would do this. Thing yeah, hundred percent. I'm never gonna do it. So yeah. So this is the segment of our podcast where we all go around and recount the nerdiest things we've done in the past week. So let's go to our new semi-regular host, Paul. What was your geek of the week? Geek of the week. So on Monday or Tuesday. Whichever day, January 29th, Kingdom Hearts 3 has finally been released to North American markets. I am in Korea, but my uh, PS4 is on the Canadian PlayStation Network store. (laughs) So I had to wait. I was looking at there's a countdown clock on it for pre-orders and I was watching it count down and I was really sad because I saw my friends who live in Japan playing it (laughs) and I was just so salty. You didn't want to play it in, in fucking Japanese? Well, I would have had English like, like language in the Japanese version if you were on that store, but then you got to flip stores and then you're going to move back to Canada. It's a big old pain in the balls. So like my father. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I had to wait an extra four days. It was painful, but I did it. And I got to, through the first two-ish hours, which is the first world being Mount Olympus and Hercules. Spoilers. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but a lot of that is a pretty large intro scene and it plays beautifully it's a really so far it's really fun it's very much kingdom hearts 
The dialogue is still as awkward and weird as ever. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. Like the Disney stuff is even more window dressing than it was before. That being said, it's still really fun to like be in Mount Olympus and then suddenly Maleficent and Pete show up and they like start trash talking Hades. It's just it's good. <laughs> I, I'm really having fun with it so far. The combat system is super flashy and I can't wait to just play through every single minute of that game. It's good. Good so far. It's a game that I I mean, I have no interest in ever playing any of the Final Fantasy games, but because of the Disney angle, I've been wanting to play Kingdom Hearts for a while. And someday I think I yeah. probably actually will. And I'm glad that this one seems to be, you know, you're not the only person that I've heard that's been really enjoying it. So I think it uh, seems like it's living up to the hype, mm-hmm. even regardless of the long ass wait. Yeah, I'm happy. I out as well as it did because i was as a like i like watching the video game business and kingdom hearts is a fascinating franchise because it takes so long for each game to come out like so long yeah so like the the long story of kingdom hearts 3 coming out the last couple years has been like very interesting and the fact that like people actually have it in their hands and are enjoying it i'm like oh good for them because like that really didn't that's not what the story of the development of this game sounded like as it was going on was that you guys were going to be happy with it when you got it. It sounded like it was going to be a fucking nightmare. So, <laughs> well, the the thing about it is, it's not like the Kingdom Hearts franchise ever went away while uh, between number two and three, there were so many side stories and iterations like and one of the best entries in the series is uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep originally was released for the PSP and got re-released multiple times and it's that has one of the best combat systems so they've while Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3 were what there was this vaporware moment where people didn't think Kingdom Hearts 3 was ever going to come there were still the the franchise was still being refined that being said some of the releases yeah. in between were terrible but some of them were really good so Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts 3 is kind of a culmination of all of those ideas that kind of were in between two and three, they kind of distilled them into kind of all the best stuff that they had there. And it, it, so far it's worked out nice. really well. Good. In my opinion. Yeah. Glad to hear. Uh, Mark, what's your geek of the week? Uh, I have completely beat resident evil two. <laughs> very happy now. That was basically <laughs> what I did all week. This week was beat resident evil. And uh, yeah, totally worth it. Like a lot of fun. Another franchise you probably enjoy a lot, actually, Tim. If you ever seen, yeah, that. I think I, I think I did play the very first one way back in the day. But yeah, well, uh, anyway, next time you're up here, you have to like sit down and watch it on the 4K screen because like it, it looks real nice. Like, it's very graphic, but no, I had a really good time with it. Like they remade Resident Evil Two uh, for the modern consoles in a very nice way, and I was very, very pleased with my eight plus eight ish hour kind of run through first first run through, I guess, of the two scenarios as they call them in the game so we're having some fun trying to like explain it to tim in the chat this week because like when you start just naming the villains in it it starts sounding real gross because they're all called liquors and mr x actually kind of felt <laughs> lot <laughs> out of it yeah and then the- <laughs> thing. has there been a resident evil porn parody yet because those cgi movies that show up on pornhub all the time usually have a lot of re- weird resident evil stuff in them but like actual <laughs> i don't think so who knows? Among gay video gamers, Chris Redfield is like not Leon. Is a that, very not Chris? Chris. Not Leon. No, it's Chris. Chris very much is like the the Uber example of like yeah, right. you know Leon. Uh, Leon's the pretty one. So yeah, because that's you're. It's Leon and Claire in this one. So Chris and Jill, yeah. I think, are in the the other one. Right? Is that that's the first yeah? One. They're in the first one. First one. Yeah, yeah. 
And then Code Veronica is Chris and Claire together. Right. Finally. Yes. Yeah. The brother and sister together. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, my Geek of the Week is also gaming this week because I have been spending more time with Breath of the Wild. I've got to the point where pretty much all I have to do is be Ganon now. I uh, maxed out all of my gear, which required a lot of collecting and a lot of use of the Sheikah Slate like targeting system and everything. I've completed as much as I can of the Hyrule Compendium without like going into the boss fight and, you know, getting those like final pictures of the Ganon oh, iteration. Yep. Yeah. There's a couple, of, there's a couple things that I've like missed because there's some of the uh, Lionel weaponry that at this point in the game, I've, because I'm so overpowered, all the Lionels are like the high powered Lionels now. So I can't get the lower level Lionel weapons anymore. So oh, I'm just, okay, I'm just yeah. going to have to like buy those pictures, but at least they have that functionality in there. Cause if they didn't, I would just, it would piss me off to no end knowing that like, I missed some shit. You know, I have to do another run, Tim. Got to do another no, run. That's not happening for a while. And I yeah, that's, that's back into that game. Every time you talk about it, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna play that again. Point. The I finished the Champions Battle, the DLC pack uh, last night. The final fight in that is hard for a Zelda game, Alicia. Because I I discussed it after with Alicia, and she was like, "Yeah, that bot that boss fight at the end of the the DLC pack is much harder than the actual Ganon fight." I didn't find the Ganon fight to be particularly difficult. There was other aspects of that game that I found trickier at the beginning. Like that game's difficulty spike, like the curve of that game yeah. is so fucking crazy that it's so hard at the beginning mm-hmm. that once you start to get even like remotely comfortable in the world and like have enough gear, you can at least get away that you're, you feel way, like way safer. But like that first probably like 10 hours of that game, like every time you turn a corner, you're like, oh, I might get fucked up. Like we're real. Yeah, exactly. Up. I'm just going to get fucking wrecked. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's scary. Like that game did a really good job. It's almost a survival horror esque job of like making me super cautious of going around every corner. Cause I never knew when yeah. some high level lintel or whatever is going to pop out of the fucking woodwork and just smash the shit out of me. So yeah. Yeah. Great game. Great game. With yeah. So the, I think about the only thing that I could potentially do, I'm not going to probably get all of the fucking Korok seeds, but I'm, one slot away from maxing out all my inventory slots so i think i need about like 30 or so more korok seeds to get that last inventory slot unlocked i did that that's as far i think that was me like considering the game 100 percent. that was what i considered 100 percent for me in that game was that yeah my isn't the gift for getting all the korok seeds just poop like, it is just like- give you <laughs> poop? yeah 900 yeah. Korok seeds, and you get a thing of poop we talked about it on the podcast a number of times yeah. when the game came out yeah. it uh it's very insulting, actually. <laughs> and it's not even like, like a, you don't even get like a trophy, like a PlayStation Network trophy for doing it either. It's just like, hey, you did that. It's in a Zelda game that nobody can see. So like, why the fuck would you bother? <laughs> well, it is. If you have the DLC, I guess once you finish off the Ganon fight and then go back, there is on your map, there will show up a little completion meter. And to get 100% on that, you do have to find every fucking Korok seed. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, 900 little fuckers. That's so like. <laughs> It's just too much, man. That's yeah. Well, much. I guess at this point, I've got to be like 400 something if I'm that close to, isn't it? Because then isn't it like 450? Four, 440 or 450 was the, I think, was the magic number. Well, I found what I remember when I was playing yeah. through it. So, yeah, you're like above 400 when you get to to that, which isn't like difficult to do because they pop up fucking everywhere if you have the little yeah, the mask indicator thing on yeah. or whatever. So, like, it, it, yeah, like it's not that hard to, to find them, but it is still like 900 is a fucking slot. Yeah, so indeed. 400 is a fucking. 
But it's still just a really fucking fun world just to bomb around in and explore and everything. So especially now, like don't they have a car? Like can't you like get a car? That's Isn't like a, or a motor. That's that's thing? what you get for finishing the DLC pack. Is you get the uh, the Master Cycle Zero, which is a yeah motorcycle that is basically fashioned like a unicorn. So it's got like yeah, like the the front of it is a horse's head or unicorn's head. Like it's got the horn and everything. Yeah. And it is pretty fun. Like I, I bombed around on that for just like ten minutes last night. I was like, yeah, this is gonna make exploring the rest of this world a lot more fun. Fair. Yeah, that is also DLC in Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, by the way. Um, you can, oh yeah. yeah. So you can you can yeah, I have that as one of my bikes in yeah. Mario Kart. Oh, it's pretty fun. Nice. I use it a lot. Nice. Okay. All right. So now that we're through our geek of the week, we can finally get to our meat of the episode. Jersey meat. New Jersey pork roll meat. Or Taylor ham, <laughs> depending on what part of Jersey you're from. So yeah, as Mark mentioned earlier in this episode, we are finally getting to cover the Kevin Smith Jersey trilogy movie. So just the first three this time, I think that's enough. Honestly, I could probably spend fucking like a two hour deep dive on each of these movies and maybe we will at some point probably (laughs) but for now this will just be sort of a surface introduction about these movies sort of what they mean to each of us general feelings on each one that kind of thing just to be specific here we're talking about what is basically uh one of my holy trilogies so it's clerks mall rats and chasing amy yep just some of my fucking favorite 90s movies some of my favorite movies of all time so Let's dive right into it then. So first off, which was the first movie that you saw and let us know a little bit about your first experience viewing it. So let's go to Paul first. So I believe the first one that I ever saw was Mallrats. And I remember seeing it. I used used to uh, have sleepovers at my friend Kyle's house back in the day. And he had an older brother who was older than Mark. A year older than me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was really into Kevin Smith. He was just like, he was a skater or like, it, it, like within that kind of. Yeah, he came to Kevin Smith from like the slacker, like skater kind of angle. Whereas like we came more from like the slacker comic book fan angle, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. So I remember seeing Mallrats when I was probably too young to really get it. Oh. <laughs> And so I remember enjoying it and watching it multiple times. It kind of became part of that, those 90s movies that I used to rewatch all the time, which included Clueless, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was within that team comedy realm to me, even though it was definitely a little bit different, more adult and spoke, it spoke directly to geek culture in a way that I was like, oh, those kind of new. Yeah, exactly. What's this? This is different. Yeah. Yeah, this is different. So they're speaking in like analogies to comic books and I totally get yeah. it. So it was kind of it was kind of fun. So that was my first experience with Kevin Smith, I think was like sleepovers at Kyle's house watching Mallrats more than once for sure. <laughs> nice. Mallrats was actually my first as well. I cannot remember how I first heard about it, but within a couple of years of it first coming out, I remember seeing ads on CBC that they were going to be playing it uncensored late night as they sometimes did Mm -hmm. and you know i guess because they were public television or whatever they could get away with playing mall rat completely uncensored yeah playing like mall rats uncensored and you know like at like 10 p.m or something like that so i taped it off tv watched it over and over and because i recorded it i fucked up the first like five minutes so i never had those first 
until I actually like saw it on DVD or probably fucking VHS. I had never seen like the first like five minutes that sets up the whole movie, like the oh, that showing up at his house and like the all that. Yeah, yeah, the stuff in the yeah the stuff in Brandy's Venning's driveway and the fucking Brody's story about his brother who shoved the cat up his ass and oh, shit like cousin. that. His cousin. It's yeah, cousin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I hadn't seen any of that until like years later when I actually got a DVD copy. But yeah, and and then from there, I just I figured out just probably from like going to the uh, video store that Kevin Smith had other movies and got those. And from there, I mean, I was just fucking hooked. How are you, Mark? Uh, this is definitely something somebody in high school handed to me. I remember getting like the clerk's tape handed to me from somebody. It might have been Eric, actually. Like it's very possible it was, or I gave it to him or something like that. So I remember seeing clerks early, like probably grade nine, grade. 10 ish like right around when mall rats mm-hmm. was coming out we didn't see mall rats because it was rated r and we couldn't get in obviously not that anybody <laughs> actually saw mall rats so i don't even remember if it was released up here to be honest i know i saw mall rats like i knew of kevin smith when i saw mall rats so i kind of knew what i was getting in for because i had seen clerks already mm-hmm. it was chasing amy that really like locked me into him for, like kind of permanently or semi-permanently anyway because i remember when that criterion edition came out listening to the commentary on it and yeah. Like, this is a guy I want to like hang out with. And then like his transition into the podcasting eventually like that kind of solidified it. But it was these movies where like I became kind of a fan for life just because of more the commentary on these movies than the movies themselves a lot of time. So yeah, I these are some of the only movies I, I don't watch a lot of commentaries, um, especially these days where there's such a glut of awesome stuff out there that I don't really feel the need to go back and watch commentaries. I just but at this point, yeah, the commentaries on these are just fucking gold mm-hmm. on all three of them, really. It's just, I mean, it's just him talking about his love of movies and how he got to make these movies with his friends kind of thing and fucking hilarious stories about making them and shit like that. It's, it's awesome because it's like it's proto smodcast. It's usually just like him and motion muse sitting around like bombed out of their minds talking yeah. about the movie. Yeah. Or as they were making it. So. Yeah, it's like it, it's now something that I look forward to on a weekly basis where I get like now that Scott's back anyway, like Scott, they put a smodcast out this week even. And I was like, oh, man, it's nice to kind of go back to these two guys just like stoned and rambling at each other because so they've been doing for yeah. 25 years now, apparently, because it was apparently this week is 25 years for clerks, too. So, wow. Yeah, we totally planned yeah, that. Totally planned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what what do these movies sort of mean to you are they just some other movies that you like to watch or do you have like a more sort of personal connection to them in some way how about you back to paul i think that one of the reasons that i still feel connected to aspects of these movies is because the way that they talk about nerd shit is the way that we still talk about nerd shit and kind of like set the, the bar for it in a certain way like when mark and i are like chatting just chatting on facebook chat like while i'm at the gym we'll just be talking about like whatever shit we're talking about and it's usually snarky and irreverent and whatever and it's just that very much comes from the the way the dialogue around geek culture was kind of set in stone by kevin smith and the way that he wrote his dialogue like honestly you don't you kind of don't get like avengers like the way the avengers was written without kevin smith having done clerks like i was actually thinking about that where like all this pop culture reference and like snarky back and forth kind of starts in Mm -hmm. like mainstream cinema with him which is like a really weird thing to think that like kevin smith the guy who always says he had no fucking influence on anybody ever kind of influenced everybody with him and like joss whedon i think those two voices right there you can point to and say 
you don't get you know the the tone of the MCU without these two voices. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot less less warm and fuzzy feelings towards Mallrats and Chasing Amy these days. Like, especially upon rewatching both of those movies, I like I was like, oh, there's a reason that I only go really go back to Clerks yes. these days, and it's just because of like it's a pretty simple movie. It has some like weird gags, but it's about like people like us talking to each other yeah. about shit and then like an overarching kind of loosely built plot which is fine. <laughs> so clerks will remain dear to my heart probably forever even though there are still parts of it that i'm just kind of like oh that yeah. did not age well yeah we'll get probably get to that <laughs> but mall rats and chasing amy less so but yeah just the having long conversations about geek shit and having it just be okay and having it be cinematic even yeah is pretty cool yeah, that is absolutely my major connection to these movies, too. Like, these were the first times that I really saw people on screen that I could, I felt like I could identify with in some way. Like, again, having the sorts of conversations I had with my friends in, like, high school and early college where exactly what Paul said, we would talk about nerdy shit in irreverent, irreverent ways and just, you know, we weren't afraid to fucking take it to dark weird fucking places and shit like that and now we do a podcast about it so yeah exactly <laughs> um and I, I think overall these are probably the movies outside of like you know a genre movie or like sci-fi or fantasy superhero or whatever that i've seen the most mm -hmm. because when i was you know like late high school early college i would just fucking watch them over and over again because they were comfort food for me they were things that i could go back to even if I was going through a rough time and they would sort of ground me and be like, okay, it's all right. This was made for me. This is my sort of cultural home. And yeah, it just, these, these are movies that probably got me through some, some, some rough times to be honest. Yeah. Cause my, my thought on them was kind of, it's similar, but like a little different in that they were a quick way, like it was almost a shorthand to identify yourself as a nerd with other nerds yeah. back in the day before like we all became mainstream and like everybody has a podcast and like these movies make a billion dollars. <laughs> this didn't happen in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And like, this is how you kind of like subtly identify yourself as a giant fucking dork to the people around you. And they would kind of subtly like agree that they were also big fucking dorks because they watched these movies. So yeah. What is this? The fucking dork, like hanky code, <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was, how we, it was like a nerd self identification it's, process in like the nineties. Oh my god! It's like the like back in the day when you called yourself a friend of Dorothy when you were gay. Yeah. yeah. Oddly enough, is is the theme for this week's RuPaul's Drag Race All Star. But anyway, <laughs> Dorothy is the theme. Um, yeah, well, is the theme. Judy Garland. Oh, Judy Garland is the theme. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Anyway. We're gonna have to do like a. We're, I don't know how we're gonna do this. But we have to do like a geek of the week or something like that, where Paul introduces Tim and I to RuPaul's Drag Race somehow. Because like I've never, <laughs> I've watched little bits of it because Paul sends it to me. I'm like, I've, yeah, I've watched none of RuPaul's Drag Race. Pretty fucking funny, to be fair. So I'm like, <laughs> I, and I know Paul just yeah. like he talks about it all the time with everybody, but it'll come <laughs> up. Eventually. Yeah, he usually does. Yeah. All right, so moving on, this is kind of a double-edged question. What is it about these movies that really, quote-unquote, works for you? Or if they don't, what makes them not for work for you? Let's go back to Paul. It's kind of both at the same time. Like, it's the same thing both at the same time. Like, there is a certain kind of level of smugness about the... the I mean, especially 
Yeah, I was especially in the first. <laughs> I was like, yeah, holy fuck! I really don't like these characters. Right, like out of the gate, I was not liking the characters when I rewatched these movies. Um, <laughs> now I quantify. I watched the extended version of Mallrats, which yeah. goes out of its okay. fucking way to make the two leads like horrifically unlikable in the first half an hour of it. So that by the time you actually get to the mall, you're like, I don't. I hope they both fucking die in a car crash. Like I don't want them to the girls back. <laughs> right. Both deserve to get shot. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know if you're supposed to like any of the characters necessarily. Like I feel like it's. I, I don't think you have to, but like it goes out of its way to make, especially TS in the opening scene, just seem like a complete just shithead. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I understand why they cut a lot of this yeah. out because he doesn't. He comes off way more ineffectual in the real movie, but he also yeah. comes off way less yeah. like an asshole. So <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like I, I like those characterizations though because. Yes, they haven't aged well, but I don't think like Kevin Smith was ever writing these as like paragons. Like these are people you should fucking model yourself after. I think he was just like, these are some fucking people I know. Sometimes they're cool. Sometimes they're fucking dicks. True. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. The problem is, is that like, I think that the geek culture really didn't get the memo on that. And a lot of people emulate, emulate like I see this in like, and, and Randall. they emulate Brody, they emulate yeah. Randall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, neither one of those characters was supposed to be yeah. emulated. Like the whole Randall's whole thing about like title dictates behavior where he, where he spits the water on the guy. It's like, you're just being a prick to be a prick because yeah. you like being a prick. And that's like, like a, a lot of the, the messaging that, was trying to be like seize the moment you you can you're more than what your title dictates was kind of like you can be a fucking asshole if you want to and you can get away with it because you're like a young a young white dude and it was just kind of like uh, that it's kind of that stuff i was just like ah uh, shit okay but that being said i did like the idea that like they were they took pride in their dorkiness like there was something about like okay well we can have this long ass conversation about independent contractors on the death star and they didn't think twice about it they just like went into it and like invited outside opinions about like that one the the roofer guy who comes in and starts talking to them that's something that current geek culture could maybe take a lesson from and inviting like opposing voices instead of creating an echo chamber about shit but like so i liked that aspect of it like it those that conversation bonding them together but at the same time like that's the smug like i'm better than you because i know all these comic book references shit some oof, oof. it just oh in this day and age i i could not it i did not stomach it very well upon this <laughs> rewatch fair enough Fair enough. Yeah. How about you, Mark? What what makes these work for you or not work as the case may be? Honestly, I don't even know if they like how to describe how they ever work for me. It's just like, this is what I grew up with. You know what I mean? Like, it it just feels like part of my cultural background almost at this point. Having these movies like something that I've seen and repeatedly watched and like quoted the dialogue and just like gone to see the guy talk, listen to his podcast. I go see all the stupid movies. Like, I love Kevin Smith stuff. And it all started with these movies. And it's me rewatching them that got me into it. So. Whew. Yeah, yeah, I've seen these movies a lot, like a lot, a lot, and like even, yeah. and it had been, it yeah, actually had yeah, been a while uh, that I'd watched since I'd watched them last, like when we did this, because we've been talking about doing this episode for basically doing two years or something so like I kept that. Putting now. off yeah. rewatch, I haven't watched them in years. <laughs> so when we finally were like, oh, we're gonna do them this week, I'm like, oh shit, I should sit down and watch these. And I was sitting there watching them, and I was having the same problems Paul was, and I was like, man, can I just not enjoy these fucking movies anymore? And I got to a point, mostly past like 
maybe that direct the director's cut of mall rats kind of really put a damper on shit right in the middle of things i think for me because even chasing amy i was like i remember liking this movie a lot more than i did this time so interesting so it became more about me watching like the character interactions and like listening to the dialogue and like enjoying that whatever the pattern of like snappy dialogue that he had in those especially in the first three movies there's like a like compare it to yeah. like Shakespeare, but like it's like a lyrical pattern to the way he writes. It's a real like Gilmore yeah. Girlsy kind of thing, where like they're just back and forth really quick, and and that's really one of those things that just became one of those tropes of indie films in general. And I think really sort of started here is that really snappy back and forth, quick yeah. delivery kind Which of is thing. Like again, everybody does now. Yeah. Kind of started here, and nobody will give them credit. Yeah, yeah, no, the, exactly. You know, they're talking back and forth. You know, in in ways that we only wish that we could process that kind of like snappy yeah. snarky dialogue yeah. that quickly, you know, in real time in real life. So yeah, absolutely. In my case, like when I first saw these movies, I just felt like I was looking into a fucking mirror in a lot of ways. Like I felt like they were fucking made for me. They were made for nerds. They were made for socially awkward guys that, you know, didn't have a filter that were willing to talk about weird fucking dirty shit and just, not care about it in an age before podcasting existed yeah exactly you know this is these were the sorts of conversations that i would have with my like friends in high school just fucking sitting around a basement you know drinking beers we stole from somebody's parents kind of thing yep (laughs) and and the other thing that really works for me in a weird way and we were already talking about sort of parallels to the mcu is the interconnectivity of these is the weird little fucking continuity that Kevin Smith came up with for the Tritown areas because fuck the MCU. This is the first interconnected cinematic universe that I ever gave a shit about. Yeah. Agreed. I was, I was all in like the little weird, especially cause you only hear about it like through snippets of misadventure and like yeah. events of one movie become like the, the tale of woe, like in the next movie for like some yeah. character, but it's like a B story kind of thing. You're like, wait, I think I saw that in mall rats, but it was like a third character in mall rats. But, Wow, neat. I like that. Yeah, and it was the it was it was the time where you didn't have the internet to look that shit up. So you were sitting there trying to like fucking connect the dots and like who knows who and shit like that. And then having to fucking blockbuster to rent them all so you can watch them all in a row and like yeah. spread all the little references together. Or was that just me who did that? Am I the one? <laughs> well, I just realized on this rewatch <laughs> that the Criterion version of Chasing Amy has a fucking like continuity guide in it mm. and the inserts. So it's got a little like map of the Tritown area and it's got like a list of all the characters and like who knows who, who graduated from which high school in which year and shit like that. And uh, and a little like timeline as well that that I mean, if you're paying attention, you can figure it out. But that highlights that Mallrats takes place a day before Clerks. Yeah, because in Mallrats, you're talking that you hear about Julie Dwyer dying in the YMCA pool. And then that's who they go to the funeral for in clerks where they fucking shut down the stores. And it's just kind of funny to think of like all those guys going to high school together when they're like 40 years difference in age or something like that. Cause yeah. How old Dante are compared to Jason <laughs> Lee and uh, which London brother is it again? Is it, it's Jeremy London, right? Uh, Jason, Jason London. I think hey. this one is. Yeah. No, it's Jeremy London. It's Jeremy yeah, London. Yes, yeah. it's Jeremy London. They trash him a lot. In the comments, yeah. right? I was listening to the commentary <laughs> on the DVD before I, we yeah. And I was like, man, they trash all the time in this commentary. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Which is it's actually funny because Kev sma- trashes Jeremy for being stoned all the time on set, which, <laughs> which is, is massively. Yeah, exactly. Now. Hot like, calling the kettle fucking black. Yeah. Or black. Yeah. 
You should have heard of most podcasts. Oh my god! <laughs> and I can't help it. I can't help but think that that uh, second movie being technically a prequel to the first is like. I mean, Kevin Smith is such a fucking film fan that that has to be a callback to the Indiana Jones movies. Oh yeah, I think he's yeah. He talks about it in, in a podcast. Yeah, that it is. Okay. He was like, oh, I always liked the fact that Lucas and Spielberg went like did a prequel to the other one. Yeah, thing, yeah. So. Yeah, it's a show. Yeah, but on top of that, like the the other thing that I've always loved about these movies is the fucking soundtracks are all just quintessentially nineties. Like yeah. so much like indie alternative, like super angsty, super lo fi fucking nineties bands on all of them. And they all have their own sort of feels to them, but they all like are just nineties in their own way. Yeah, Clerks is very much like super yeah. like proto grunge yeah. right in there. Like there's some else on that soundtrack, a lot of like jersey punk bands and stuff that are on there because they're all friends with kevs and stuff so like yeah it's there's some good yeah. stuff and then mall rats is all like slacker rock kind of and slacker alternative kind of music and stuff like that but yeah weezer elastica yeah all of us probably heard for the first time was probably mall rats like or at least close to it that's the first time I heard yeah oh, I, f- mm-hmm. I, I love that fucking cover yeah. of suzanne it's so good yeah all right, so let's get into the in the, the nitty grittiest that we're going to get on this episode anyway. So I think I can already guess this for Paul, so I'll go to him first. Which of the Jersey Trilogy is your favorite movie and why? And we'll just sort of discuss each one as it comes up. I think I like Clerks the best. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, because I think the, the lack of ambition for it actually made for a better movie overall. So earnest. Like, yeah, it's it is very earnest, but it's also like when Kevin Smith goes into um like a, a more structured narrative and like the the slapsticky nature of Mallrats and the fact that the characters are so fucking unlikable <laughs> is just so it's a tough watch for me period these days. Like I I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So whiny. And now that, you know, <laughs> As a gay man, uh, no, no Chasing <laughs> it has not aged well in a lot of ways, especially, you know, like 20 years out and where gay rights and gay identity has come since then. It's like, just like, just be fucking bisexual, girl. It's like this, like, or pan or something or like that. Pan. Like that feels like where it's where it's leading to me. Yeah, this this fucking anguished tearful in the rain i'm gonna make out with ben affleck in the rain moment fucking (laughs) so dramatic (laughs) so pointlessly dramatic and oh there's just so many things about that movie now where i'm just like and actually some of it actually holds up pretty well like the way that um once you kind of all right we'll talk to chasing amy when we get to chasing amy we're talking about clerks okay (laughs) why you like clerks not why you don't like the other okay yeah yeah okay all right (laughs) Clerks, I really like because it feel the looseness of it feels really natural and organic. I love every con- every conversation that they have, minus a few, like the the one where the guy is testing the eggs and stuff like that, and they're just yeah. kind of really nonchalant about this mentally ill dude, and, and yeah. they're gawking at him, and I just, that stuff, not so much, but almost 80-85% of the conversations that they have are totally excellent. And also the character, like Dante and Randall both come off a little bit better than yeah, the Mallrats douchebags. <laughs> like, especially near the end where Dante admits that he, he admits that he was being a fucking asshole. Like, 
heaven mm-hmm. forfend. Like we don't really get that moment with TS where he is. Well, he kind of comes out on top. Like he doesn't have to change at all. Yeah. Yeah. And Dante really does like the weird. Okay. She had sex with a corpse thing. And there's just, <laughs> there's a, a lot in clerks that I'm just like, okay. All right. But overall Dante's arc feels very complete, very earned. And it didn't need this uh, so much set dressing like in Mallrats where like there's this, uh, like uh, multiple plots that are kind of interwoven. Does, it didn't really need that. It was basically just Dante's day and it was a very yeah. eventful day for him. And I like that. I like the simplicity of it. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I love Dante's arc and I, <laughs> I love that he's fucking hedging his bets and just it doesn't work out for Mazal at all. He just fucking ends up with nothing in the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that's about what you fucking deserve. Yeah, I don't feel like Dante like <laughs> deserves to come out on top yeah. at the end of the movie. Like, so I'm like, all right, yeah, you, you earned your shitty spot. Like, I like to acknowledge that you've earned it. Though. Yeah. So like that's kind of why I think Clerks is probably my favorite out of the bunch. The one that holds up or at least holds up the best for me now. I probably would have said Chasing Amy before mm. I rewatched them. Not now though. The other things with Clerks for me, I mean, I'm not much of like, I I used to call myself more of like an indie film guy and maybe not so much today, but it feels to me that Clerks established a lot of indie film tropes, like those interstitial scenes, the shaky camera moves, the writing that's really tight, that is really what holds everything together, the sort of amateurish production, all that, because I mean, Kevin Smith is the first one to admit that none of these movies are shot particularly well, or even... No. produced very well overall but it's the writing which is all him that just holds everything together and yeah and it's good like it is solid writing there are there's still it's still super quotable like i still yeah but th- sometimes i still think to myself like salsa shark or whatever you know like yeah <laughs> salsa shark and the Berker got me this time for some yeah. reason i was like god I'm the Berker. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Would you like to making fuck berserk? Did he just say making Did fuck? You... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, clerks really resonated with me because I was a fucking clerk. I worked in oh, a fucking too. convenience store in like a not a shit part of town, but not a great part of town of like mm-hmm. my hometown for like two years as like an after school job in high school. So I I felt fucking Dante's pain. Yeah. A lot of the time in here. See, this is funny. I was the mall rat kid. Like, I, I worked at the movie theater in the mall. I was that too. Yeah. Five or like eight years. I don't know. I was at that theater for fucking ever. But, like, I lived in that mall for, like, eight years or whatever. And, like, so mall rat. Yeah. Remember I watched it again when, back then, especially. I was like, God, this is, like, fuck, this is every day. Yeah. This is just, like, that. Yeah. Like, that's the world I live in right now. It's just, like, in the mall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as an ex-clerk though, like the one thing that drives me nuts about the movie is that some the guys go in, they say pack of cigarettes, and they just hand them and just like, any when cigarettes, you, any cigarettes. Whereas, like <laughs> when you are a clerk, that they have their like it's Demoria king size light, yeah. twenty yeah. pack, like they the, the green, they yeah. have that's the same thing and the green pack or whatever. Yeah, you watch any movie and like they go to a bar and they're like, give me a beer, and it's like, oh fucker, like what? Like I need to know what's on tap. Like tell me what's on tap. Yeah, like don't I don't. You're gonna give me like Bud Light, Bud Lime. They got to get rid of that Bud Lime that's just sitting around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just give me a it's, it's just going stale in the fucking keg yeah. for the last three years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Fuck. laughs> yeah. Whereas with cigarettes, it was like trying to get rid of the slim menthols. Yeah, yeah. All that shit. Uh, like, yeah, man, smoking those slim menthols. 
Yeah. So classy. Okay. I'm going to throw a theory on Clerks in terms of sort of what niche it fit in the culture. I think that Clerks was like the existentialist movie for like that mid 90s period. Everything feels kind of dead end. They're just going through their like daily routine. Like this shit feels like waiting for Gatto for the 90s to me. Yeah. I, I, I see that because that was very much the feeling at the time, right? Like there, it was, God, these two guys couldn't, knew that there was a world outside of the video store and the convenience store, but we didn't see it. We never saw the world, that world outside of it. Like, yeah. we're, it's almost like Godot is the existence outside of, <laughs> like, we know that people come into these two locations and visit it. And we know that that's a limit of the, the budget of the movie, like more than anything else. But we see them maybe coming out of Julie Dwyer's funeral. But I think other than that, we don't really see the outside world. Going to and coming out, and you see Randall at the video yeah. store when he goes at the end of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. sir. Otherwise, like, well, you're at you're at Dante's house mm-hmm. at the beginning, and then and then you go to the you're funeral. Home. Super yeah, but but it is yeah. a very you're basically in the store like for like. 90%. Yeah. yeah. So. And that I think that works to create that feeling uh, that waiting for Godot feeling of uh, that existentialist smallness that something there's something bigger waiting but there's this kind of looming dread of it. the now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't get to it but the only thing that's actually holding you back from getting to it is yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I I like your theory on that. It feels right. Yeah. Good. Oh, it makes it Makes it very real. I'm <laughs> but I mean, we already touched on like the fact that so much from Clerks has, and, and really from all these movies, has just ended up as part of like that geek culture zeitgeist now. Like it's just, but they become like secondhand language basically at this point. Like stuff like Salsa Shark, like the contractors on the Death Star, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's okay, yeah. Like do you oh remember God. Tracer? That yeah. First half? Oh my God. Trace oh a chalk God. line around your dead fucking body. <laughs> God damn right. Yeah, exactly. Mother <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about clerks before we maybe move on to another one? Uh, Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs. Sign <laughs> <laughs> of the times when like that. I don't know, man. It makes me laugh. Yeah. For some reason. Those and those montages where they're both complaining about customers got me, gets me fucking right oh, in the feels. Like yeah. I'm like the... <laughs> Uh, so how much is this anyways? And there's a big fucking sign. Ah! Like the, yeah. Do you have any new movies? And the huge fucking sign that just says new movies. Oh, that, that makes like, it twists something inside me. It's like, it's like, like, the, like, I don't know. It's like revving up a motorcycle, but it's just my rage and torment from being a fucking clerk. The same. Uh, Cause I was a clerk at a convenience store and at a shopper's drug mart. I was a cashier. Oh and- shit. Oh man! It's, and the guys were like, "Where are the condoms and hair gel? They're fucking right next to each other in the same goddamn place, <laughs> and you know it." <laughs> Just for dudes like you, yeah. Been in the same aisle since like they opened the goddamn store, because like aisle I ever went to in fucking Shoppers Drug fucking Mart, buying like <laughs> on sale condoms and dippity do all the fucking time. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> I'm feeling targeted, Paul. It was depth. It was depth for me. Depth. Oh, yeah. 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 Gross. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, All Jesus. Right. All right. Mark is it was so would Clerks also be your favorite out of the three? Yeah, I, I think Clerks is aged the best out of the three, and it's the one that I will probably go back to the most. I never probably would have thought of that. I remember back in the day, Mallrats was the one I would go back to because it's so like just ridiculously irreverent and like I could throw it on and it's 
it feels more like a, a series of vignettes where I don't have to pay attention to the characters. Whereas Clerks, like, I kind of want to sit there with Dante and Randall and hang out kind of thing. Like, they feel like people I knew back in the day mm-hmm. kind of thing that I would hang out and talk about this kind of shit with. So I was like, oh, yeah. Like, going back to old friends, which I guess I kind of do now. Like, I go back to the, the guy who wrote all this shit all the time with the podcast and stuff like that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be the odd man out there and say that, uh, I mean, I, I love all three of these, but Mallrats is probably my favorite, in part because it was my first, in part because I think it balances the, I mean, it's definitely shot better than Clerks. It's still not shot expertly by any stretch, but I think it balances the comedy, drama, and then that sort of geeky content the best overall. I think it's the it's the most well-rounded movie out of the three for me. Like, Clerks is very much like, hey, I'm making this on a budget. Like, I'm going to go primarily for laughs. There's not going to be much in terms of, like, drama to it. Even the drama is going to be pretty fucking absurd and funny. And then Chasing Amy is very much, like, the super introspective, like, this is me trying to say something kind of thing. And Mallrats is the one that I can just fucking sit down and have fun with Yeah, out of the three more than anything. And plus, I did not ever work in a mall. But I definitely was one of those teens that hung out in the mall for entertainment because I lived in a pretty small town, like, you know, less than 100,000 people. There fucking just wasn't much else to do than go to the mall, walk around, see who you run into, that kind of thing. And, you know, avoid the people you don't want to see and, you know, go to the stores where, you know, people that work there and that kind of thing. And that was just that was the fucking culture. Everybody who like worked at every record store in the north end of St. Catharines because of me just wandering from store to store looking for records on like a basically weekly basis. Yeah. Real yeah. 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 But yeah, and I, I it's and again, like I some of the conversations that Brody and TS have are absolutely things that I could like see you know, my friends having at the time or even fucking like me and Mark having now kind of yeah. thing. I think we've had a couple <laughs> of conversations on the podcast. I think that's kind yeah. of podcast is is basically <laughs> him and i trying to relive mall rats conversations via the podcast somehow yeah yeah in in large way but you know i don't necessarily look at either brody or ts as like people like these are people that you want to be kind of thing but i definitely did see some <laughs> some reflections there that maybe that's not a good thing maybe it is i don't know i think it's maybe my favorite stan lee cameo of all time better than any of the mcu cameos I was hoping somebody would bring up the fact that he's in this one because, like, the story is complete fiction because, like, he loved his wife and he never fooled around. Yeah. On her. But, like, yeah. he sells it, and it's it is like it's my favorite Stanley cameo because he just like he's in total Stanley character. Yeah, yeah, and that that big old fucking beard, like, that's an epic Stanley beard there. Yeah. From seventies to the ni- like mid nineties, he had that fucking beard, man. It was it was a piece of work that thing. Yeah. I remember this cameo when he was telling that story, and I know that it was like fictionalized but it was pretty fraught back in the day i think it was because like he was taking credit for the creation of a lot of heroes and there wasn't a lot of talk about his co-creator for yeah uh, a lot of it i remember back in the day people were pretty up in arms about that and it was just kind of like well this was like a shorthand for this cameo where obviously the writer of the movie was very much in awe of this man so maybe like it's fine but I remember back in the day, people were like, uh, do you guys remember Jack Kirby? Cause, yeah. Because Jack Kirby did a thing. He did stuff too. But yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah, you got to trot out six artists. Like It was a different artist per book. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't mm. trot out Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and 
whoever created one of the other ones, you know what I mean? Like I'm like John Romita or whatever. You can't trot every of those guys out every time you trot Stan out. So it's like Stan was involved with all of it. To what degree yeah. you want to argue? He was the visionary. Yeah. Like, and the other guys, the other guys were, yeah, co-creators and were, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Stanley's basically like the, I just look at him as the, especially by, by that point, he was the, uh, like the mascot for comics at large. And I just kind of, mm-hmm. whatever he did, I was like, fine, man, Stan's just doing Stan. I don't, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys talked like, yeah, Jeremy London's performance in this is not great. He's like he's so fucked as a stoner that man is stoned like (laughs) yeah yeah even in clerks there were a lot of like awkward performances oh yeah you know i mean like they're yeah they're all and because you know art school they're they're probably like getting their friends (laughs) to do a lot of this shit it basically is all his it's just his friends and people who were in like a local theater yeah yeah and they they do a good job of editing around those performances pretty well both in 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 all three (laughs) movies less so in in uh chasing amy i'd say chasing amy has the best performances overall out of it out of all three they have three pretty good actors like in the three yeah. leads of that movie yeah. and and also I can, I can never remember his name but the guy who plays hooper who was like honestly the best part of that movie <laughs> even to this day yeah some of it's dated a little poorly but like fuck he's funny uh, dwight ewell <laughs> yeah dwight yeah ewell. that's yeah. him dwight ewell yeah fuck he's funny in that yeah movie. <laughs> okay, they definitely have like a much stronger like Af- like you can say what you want about Affleck. like the guy can't act when he needs to especially when he was young mm-hmm. and like Jason yeah. proved himself at that point, and Joy Lauren Adams is uh, actually kind of underappreciated talent. Like I like her in all these movies. Like whenever she shows, oh yeah, she's very like watchable. Yeah, so. yeah. But J- Jason Lee fucking holds mall rats together for oh, me. God. Like you don't have a movie yeah. without Jason without fucking Brody Bruce. Mm-mm. Yeah, um, Jason Lee, even in chasing chasing Amy, was probably my favorite part. Even though character super on like, chasing Amy. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. He's like Brody. Brody is charming but i wouldn't asshole. say that he's likable yeah <laughs> it's like the the shit that i'm not like i've heard a lot of things about shannon doherty but in the me too era i'm not so sure i want to believe all all the shit about how her being a bitch on set is like a real thing yeah. mm-hmm. but because it could have been it could not have been i don't know but i don't know it's i i her his character treating the way that the the male characters treat their girlfriends in this fucking movie is so abhorrent yeah, <laughs> it is just cringe it is the whole time i was like oh my god yeah. really like is this what was going on all right <laughs> the, these are, were the guys we were supposed to root yeah. for and i, I was like was okay problem i was like oh fuck yeah well in the in the end in the end brody ends up sort of owning his shit more than i think ts does oh, absolutely and yeah yeah and, and when he does the whole speech saying like yeah i was an asshole and like i i think ts owns or uh, brody owns his his redemption a lot more than ts does right and like how horrible did ben affleck had to play shannon hamilton yeah for TS to look good in comparison, you know, for Bro- Brody, yeah, for Brody to look good by comparison, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like Affleck has to like really like work yeah. those smug asshole fucking chops of his, like which are yeah very well exercised, but like he's really pushing yeah. hard to make them make you hate him in that movie because like yeah, Affleck's a pretty easy guy to like if you're just kind of watching him do dumb shit. So like making him like a huge yeah. asshole, whew, it can be done. I don't know. I, was- I think I hate. I think I hate Holden more than I hate fucking Shannon Hamilton. Oh, well, yeah. Holden is <laughs> like, yeah, he's such an entitled prick. It's, he's <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, fuck. Don't get, uh, we'll get started on Chasing Yeah, we'll, we'll get Chasing Amy. Oh, the, but Ooh, while we're talking about Shannon Doherty, 
one of the one of the things I really enjoy about Mallrats as well is that uh, Kevin Smith starts leaning a little bit more into the meta humor and a little bit of wall breaking. Yeah. One of my favorite fucking gags from that movie <laughs> is Willem looking at Shannon Doherty and saying Brenda, which apparently her reaction to was like genuine. Like she didn't know he was gonna. Yeah, she, she fucking hauled off on him for saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so good so good very good that yeah uh, um what's the uh the fucking escalator like brody just screaming about the kid on the escalator yeah it's still one of my favorite i can't movies. believe it that kid is back in the fucking escalator again and then uh yeah him getting his ass kicked and then jane silent bob kicking the shit out of the easter bunny just like yeah in front of the little kids it makes me laugh so goddamn much. and the deafness with which kevin smith interweaves all the different storylines together and all the different characters and stuff like that in that movie is really impressive like you know you get like the little bits with uh fuck Alyssa's little sister oh yeah, yeah. the the one the one that's right in the book trish the dish yeah trish yeah trish trisha jones and just how all of that sort of comes together around the dating show and everything like that like it's re- it's almost like Shakespearean in terms of the all those disparate threads coming together at the end or like, you know, one of those like 50s sitcom like I Love Lucy kind of storylines all coming together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- there's an art to that, I think. Yeah. No, I, I, that's one of the aspects of the movie I like. And especially as they're running around the mall, you run into different people again, kind of like every yeah. time the yeah. same people are still kind of just just like the same 20 people just hanging out at the same fucking mall. And like, man, is that that's so close to reality. Like I remember seeing the same fucking people every day yeah. at the same mall. As you yeah, there. exactly. Holy shit. Yeah. And you'd walk around and be like, Oh, there's that chick that, you know, is fucking guy for a fucking guys for a book. Yeah. And there's those two stoners that are all hanging, always hanging out by the pet store and shit like that. Yeah. And well, there's the guys that buy my, yeah. we hang out in front of quick stop. So yeah. You're also, yeah. I love when James <laughs> and Bob show up. Like, uh, I don't know. It just, it feels like home for some reason when those two <laughs> all show up in a movie or wherever. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah well anything else about Mallrats before we move on to the final can we just like entry we, we didn't actually talk about claire farlani who oh fuck she's a smoke show in this goddamn oh, movie amazing she's so hot but like she she sleepwalks her way through this movie and then it's, she really does doing a horrific oh, job of covering up her accent in the reshoot scenes too like you can tell which scenes were reshoot yeah because yeah. like her accent is like pretty good through like the body of the movie and then like the bumpers where they reshot and it's like holy god she's super english which does not do anything yeah. to affect how hot I think she is. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, quite the opposite. Yeah, quite the opposite. But uh, <laughs> oh my god! Can I maybe suggest that Claire Forlani might not be a very particularly talented? No, I don't Did I? I don't know if you guys remember the movie Meet Joe Black. Oh my but god! I haven't seen that movie oh in its entirety. Oh you shit! <laughs> Little because because wow because oh, i actually Jesus. watched the uh the original death takes a holiday and that movie's actually pretty good but yeah i watched beat joe black again recently and i have never been so bored in my i remember screaming and her per- i remember screening that movie at the uh, theater and just being like like the girls were all watching it because brad pitt's super pretty and i was like oh claire falani's super hot so i'll sit here and watch it but i was like this is the worst fucking thing i've ever seen in my entire life and i want to die <laughs> it, 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 and then it, it was it, like the worst part, movie. It's like two and three quarter hours long. Like it's a fucking long movie. Jesus. Or at least it feels like it. Yeah. It's, anyway, <laughs> just wanted to point out that that movie exists and Claire Forlani is one of the reasons that it's so bad. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, then, yes, then, then we can move on. Rooker, like, Hoppins yeah. was in this movie too. Yeah. That he's, it always makes me laugh when you 
he shows up in the movie too. Like, oh yeah, that's right. He ends up being Yondu. Oh, like, yeah, Jesus. He becomes like and the stink palm is just so cringy but so hilarious oh, yeah. and and executed so perfectly when he licks his hand i'm just like, yeah oh, god i want to die like that that's horrific yep. <laughs> <laughs> in the mall he's fucking wow. dry he's just thinking about that <laughs> yeah <sighs> guys i work in a kindergarten that can entirely happen just by accident <laughs> these kids are I, I would not touch those children. The last thing I will say about Clerks is I am pretty sure that Joey Lauren Adams as Gwen was part of my sexual awakening. Oh, God. And, yeah, sorry. In in Mar- oh, you mean Mallrats? Yeah, yeah. You said Clerks. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, not going to lie. Uh, Mallrats was probably responsible for a lot of my sexual awakening, actually, because like all, I, all of these movies have like, yeah, Mallrats, definitely. Shannon Doherty and Claire Forlani and yeah. Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah. But all right, let's move on to, uh, since we're talking about movies that are probably longer than they need to be, like Meet Joe Black, let's move on to Chasing Amy, the final movie of the Jersey Trilogy, which, yes, maybe has not aged as well as the others, but I think still holds up pretty well when you consider it in the context of when it came out. Yeah, it's still, I think, the best made yeah. of the three movies, for sure. The performances are good. And I le- again, it, like because they limited the scope of how many characters there are, like each character got to get a lot of good development. There were some really good moments. It's not as slapsticky and irreverent as the first two movies. And it's definitely like mm-hmm. the, the serious one of the, the three because of the subject matter. But yeah, so I, in that sense, I, I still think for what it is at the time that it was released, it's like a good movie, but it just doesn't hold up thematically anymore. It's just one of those movies. Yeah, that was I, don't, I think that there are some themes that hold up. Like if you look at, I mean, we're, there's, we're still facing homophobia. We're still facing people that are just flat out ignorant of the sort of nuance of other people's sexual orientation. It's probably not people in fucking like New York and, you know, upstate New Jersey kind of thing. It's now people in like the South. And the one thing that really rung true for me was there's still Mm -hmm. fucking panels today at cons on, you know, better representation of like minority and female voices and comics and shit like that. Like that's something. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that, man, that we just saw, I saw some of those panels while we were trying. Yeah, exactly. And like, yes, there's been progress, but there's still a fucking way to go on those things. Yeah, man, there there are still parts of this movie that I'm like, that is so astute that he must have asked queer people what like, for instance, my one of my favorite scenes in the movie, um, only because it's so true, is when Joey Lauren Adams um, explains lesbian sex. Yes, this on the swings, on the swings, yeah. uh, because straight men are so and sorry guys but like i've had to have this kind of patient conversation <laughs> explaining my existence to so many people and cis het white men are the almost 95 percent of who i've had to have this conversation with it's like yes i am a homosexual Yes, it hurts the first time. Yes, it actually feels really fucking good. Yes, all these all these things <laughs> like uh, like I've had to patiently explain it just so that they could like attach a human face to the concept so that it would be less icky to them and they wouldn't like feel 
a need to like vote away our rights and do shit like that or want or just want to fucking beat the shit out of me because i remember get it having to have this conversation about just being a gay person in st Catharines, ontario our hometown when i was sitting at the merchant ale house and some drunk guy comes up to me and we had to have this hour-long thing and the bartender just leans into me and she says like you are the most patient person in the world for having to talk this guy down from his rant as like it's it's all the time so that scene spoke to me so much and it still does to this day yeah and the that moment when Alyssa turns to him and says I moved to have that comment stricken from the record and that it makes you come off like a complete asshole or something like that like that is just a beautiful character moment where you can tell okay you know I know he didn't probably didn't really mean that but he's just playing you know, that's just his biases coming out. And so she's trying to sort of turn that around. And to be honest, like as like a fucking like teenage straight dude, when I first watched these movies, like that conversation on the swing was a lesson in sex ed for me. Like I, you know, they don't fucking teach you about like gay sex in fucking like Catholic school, you know, in secondary school in Ontario. So that scene on its own really shaped my understanding of, non-straight relationships non-straight sexual interactions and this movie also sort of made me was was one of the points where i started to realize that yeah it wasn't okay to like call people fags and that like stuff like like terms like dykes and that sort of thing are not cool to use and so i mean i gotta give this movie a lot of props for that and i agree with paul like i think kevin smith must have reached out to some queer people when he was writing this and got some opinions and that kind of thing because there's uh yeah there are some like pretty frank conversations the overall like story arc of Alyssa and her flip-flopping sexuality and stuff is definitely a very hetero uh heteronormative perspective on female sexuality mm. and like they i don't think they use the word bisexual once in the entire I actually, movie no I'm paying attention for because i'm like why doesn't she just like say she's bi like isn't that kind of a thing like that's a thing yeah but th- that it's great that you you got there too it's like this is 2019 now yeah. it's like bisexuals like but this is actually weirdly enough still something that the LGBT community talks about a lot in like bisexual erasure. Like there are no bisexuals, especially bisexual men don't exist. It's just gay or straight and gay people are guilty of this too. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, like, no, I've like, I have been with bisexual guys. I've been with gay guys. I've been with ostensibly straight guys. <laughs> and like, it is, it's not just a spectrum. It's so much more than that. It's like, there, it's not just one line. Like the Kinsey scale is like a, a limited understanding of human sexuality. So when she's like, when her lesbian friends say another one bites the Disown dust, disown her kind out, of thing, yeah. And then still, in some circles, might be accurate. Oh yeah, my in some circles, I wouldn't say that. I would say that that's way less common these days. But might still in usually in older like when people who would come out earlier on probably in Gen X or so might still have that mentality of like you're either totally against men or you're totally against us. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I think at the time when this first came out, the major criticism of it was that like women are only lesbian until they find the right guy kind of thing. And that is obviously also a really problematic viewpoint. And, you know, it's it's a matter of whether she really is 
in the movie supposed to be, you know, 100% lesbian, never would fuck a guy ever or whatever, never would fall for a guy or whether she was actually, you know, by or pan or whatever and just hadn't yeah. hadn't come across a guy that really appealed to her yet or whatever sort of thing. So then that that is something that there was a massive amount of debate about when the movie first came out and yeah. Yeah. The scene where she has the breakdown and she starts screaming, I'm fucking gay, which is to me read as she had hinged her personality and her uh, entire social yeah. circle around this particular identity, which is a really interesting thing to think about. But that's not where this movie was going at all. Like in this day and age, if people had would explore that, like, oh, I identify as gay and uh, like my social circle like revolves around that if i make changes to it does it have to be this big fucking deal and it doesn't like you can just say okay well maybe i identified as gay before but i'm starting to having burgeoning heterosexual feelings and i'm now verging on bi like yeah whatever who cares like who gives a fuck at this point but some people still do and it's but this movie doesn't definitely did not have that in mind when it was being made yeah well paul what's what's your take like from my standpoint i really like the way that they treat banky and holden's relationship where there's obviously there is some latent homosexual feelings for holden from banky and that are addressed eventually is that something that you thought was treated pretty well oh definitely that was weirdly enough because i have definitely had crushes on straight guys or like seriously big crushes on straight guys where like there was no way in the world it was ever going to be reciprocated. But there, my take on it is like, um, it's weird that Holden was the one, like maybe Holden is particularly perceptive or in that moment became more perceptive because of his relationship with Alyssa mm-hmm. that he could uh, start to identify why Banky was being so possessive and territorial and so hateful towards Alyssa. So, but Holden being the one coming to that realization for Banky was kind of weird. And it was kind of like the, the straight guys solving all the gay problems kind of thing moment where I was just kind of like, no, like really, I don't know. I Maybe Banky was so far in denial that it took, Holden to get him out of that and that's I I, I get it but it's still yeah. it still came off as a little bit weird to me because yeah. you know but I mean there, and maybe this is more a stereotype than anything but there there is definitely that feeling you know that he was a self-hating gay kind of thing you know that he 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 did on some level know that he was or you know at least was not straight if not was gay and he didn't yeah. like that fact and was not accepting of that fact for whatever reason, you know, his upbringing or whatever. We don't know anything about that, really. So, yeah, yeah. I think that the way that he frames his relationship with Holden is I find to be one of the more interesting things about it because he like they they do have a business relationship as well. But he's obviously he has emotionally crossed that line without even telling Holden that he had, you know, like he's obviously, yeah, he's obviously super protective of Holden. He's he's clearly fallen in love or in obsession. Like it's not, can't be love with it when it's not reciprocated. Right. It's just like, he's fallen for Holden in lust lust and he's infatuated. And like he obviously respects him professionally. They work together. They're roommates. Like there's a lot going on there that in Banky has overcomplicated this 
to the extent that he can't think of anything else but Holden. Like he, they have made mm-hmm. each other such a integral part of each other's lives that they're basically in a relationship, except that Banky needs so much more than what Holden is willing to give because Holden has no fucking idea what it is that, so that was definitely realistic. It's, it felt true to life. It felt like something that could happen. Like I could see like those emotional entanglements really fucking him up. So all of that and the ni- 90s self-loathing gay thing, especially people were still that the echo of the AIDS crisis in the early late 80s, early 90s was still there. Like the stigma was still strongly there. And especially in the, the comic books field, which is definitely still a heterosexually oriented industry. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Rant over. All right. Done. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, no, no, those those are obviously all big themes in this movie. Mark, you've been quiet about chasing Amy so far. What are your feelings on this one? Back in the day, I would have said this is my favorite movie. I think I said earlier it didn't age well because some of the stuff like Paul's been mm-hmm. talking about mostly. It is kind of responsible for like certain identifications when it came to my little brother, though. So like me being able to talk to Paul about his orientation <laughs> and stuff like that, probably this movie aided me along in that kind of regard. So um, I do have a little bit of a personal mm-hmm. kind of stake in this movie because it did inform my relationship with my little brother, probably somehow, just because. How else was I going to get exposed to this stuff without just talking to him about it, I guess? Right? So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, like, I mean, there's parts of this movie that did not age well. And, like, some of it, I think, works pretty well still to this day. Some of the comedy's fucking great, though. Like, that shit at the beginning. Cooper, like, losing his mind. Oh, like, fucking... the thing, like, at the beginning. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Black rage. <laughs> what is a new black rage <laughs> into the crowd. I'm like, this is fucking Black cool. Rage. Like, the best shit. I love this stuff so much. Man. And the rant, the rant about uh, Star oh, Wars, uh, about the white man keeping the black man down, and Vader being a crusty old white dude, <laughs> yeah. and how that's like trying to say that inside all black men want or black men that, really like, want to be white. I remember the first time oh. I watched that movie. He said that I was like, what did he, what did he say that? and he starts shooting. I was like, oh okay, it's a comedy beat. I understand what's going on in this movie now because I was like, oh, this movie is about lesbians. Why are they starting a racial thing? What is happening here? But it was yeah, I love that. Like yeah, there was it's back to back because we're at the con and they have the tracer scene and then they have that Cooper scene. It's just like all right, here's the comedy. Yeah, like we're yeah. at the top. We're gonna get the two like good big fucking bits. Yeah, and they do play some really good and I think pretty sensitive notes overall on the 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 gay themes like Banksy's like realization yeah. moment of re- Banky yeah. Banks not Banksy fuck. Banky's moment of realization yeah. that they're in the they're in a gay bar where he looks around. It's it's just cut so well. And he's, like, he's looking oh. around. He's like, what, what, what? And then you just see that glimmer of recognition. Then he's like clapping and like, yes, hot. Yeah. Can I, and I, can I just say that Jason Lee is super cute in this movie, and I really wish that he wasn't a Scientologist. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like I know Ben Affleck is standing right there and he's gorgeous, whatever. But like, there's something like dorky cute about Jason Lee in both, and actually Mallrats too, where you're just kind of like, oh yeah, I understand. A lot of girls I knew were like super big Jason Lee fans <laughs> yeah. back in the day. Like they were pretty obsessed with Jason Lee. It's like, oh, he's tall and funny and cute. And I go, oh, all right, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Until he opens his mouth and says, "That's why I don't get lesbians. Everybody needs dick." <laughs> 
the deep dicking speech is like uh, like the i was like <laughs> i gotta turn this movie off for a minute but, but that's one of like i don't think even in the 90s you were supposed to look oh, at that yeah. and like laugh at it like no, that was even then i think you were supposed no. to be like fuck this guy's way off base yeah or it was speaking <laughs> to his deep-seated desires to get deep dick by holden like, yes well that was the thing like yeah right from the start like having you know obviously knowing where this movie's going you know you can see the signs really early with banky like he just like leans really hard into the homophobic jokes and stuff like that and you start to think like me thinks he doth protest too much kind of thing uh, the other best part like the Archie yeah. fucking rants like the stuff between him and with Archie, yeah. I love that. Jughead shit. is like, the queen. Like, of yeah. <laughs> no, king Archie Archie's is the world. queen. Yeah. No, Jughead, Jughead is the king of Queen Archie's world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it. Oh, man. I love that. His so fucking good. Yeah. He's yeah. so good. Again, my favorite, I mean, like, Jason Lee's awesome, but he has, he has all the asshole parts to do, so he kind of gets taken away, whereas Hooper's yeah. just like yeah. the whole well, way through. So. Yeah. And now, now that going off the Archie thing, now that. Riverdale has kind of established Betty and Veronica <laughs> as at least sexually curious about each other. Like, you know, he wasn't completely wrong. Like, n- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny listening to that rant and having seen bits and pieces of Riverdale. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they are gay on that show. Like they might. Wasn't Jughead supposed to be asexual, I think, on Riverdale. They got him dating Betty oh, yeah? right okay. now, I think. No, in the, like him and Betty in the comic books that the um, Riverdale is kind of based on, he became asexual. He was... Uh, Ace? Okay. He uh, came out as asexual. That was... Oh, I can't even remember who did that run, but it was a good run. Then, yeah. So, but on the show, like, Cole Sprouse, I guess, is, like, seen as yeah. uh, kind of a sex symbol, a geeky, nerdy sex symbol. Jason Lee, nerdy sex symbol. symbol. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like uh, he and Betty were... Are the, they have the the ship name Bughead? So there you go. <laughs> Jesus. Oh God. All right. Maybe before we go too far down that rabbit hole, we uh, I don't even know how long this is going to edit out to when uh, when we finish off. But I think we've ranted long enough about all these movies. Like I said, we could probably deep dive each one of these, and maybe we will someday. But for now, I don't. We have already gone through and thrown out some quotes, but I don't think we can really properly do these super quotable movies without throwing out a few favorite quotes each. So let's just rotate around. We'll just rapid fire. Uh, should I start? Whoever wants to go. Well, my, my first one's not really like a quote so much as a bit in the, it's the, at the end ish of clerks when they put the fucking sign on the door and Randall comes out and it's yeah. like the I eat <laughs> like with the, 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 I don't know why to this day that makes me fucking howl. Like I just lose my mind every time I see that guy. It's so dumb. But I love that gag for like just because it's that it's so dumb, and he just stands yeah. there yeah. and looks through the glass <laughs> like, like an idiot. Oh, it's yeah. so good. And the best part is he picks it off, and he's sitting there when Randall or Dante walks back in the store. He's sitting there looking at the sign, like fiddling with the yeah. fucking tape and shit. Like the one, the one so that always good. gets me is uh, the Shannon Hamilton tape in Mallrats. Like, just imagine like you know Ben Affleck's like Oscar worthy worthy performances, and then looking back at him doing least trisha jones and saying who's your favorite new kid call me donnie call me joey oh yeah <laughs> please please don't go girl <laughs> yeah future batman i love that like, please don't go girl like that that pushes that line over the edge like it's such a good bit it does and that's yeah that's just the sort of shit that i'm like all right like affleck's not taking himself too seriously here that's good yeah. to see <laughs> Yeah, well, that's like that's like the second or third movie. It was early, yeah. Like Mallrats is super early. Like, Days and Confused, Mallrats, like like, uh, 
Uh, uh, fuck the the Matt the Matt Damon. Well, he's in the buff. Oh yeah, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, Goodwill Hunting. Really yeah. early for him too. Um, there's one uh, line that is not delivered particularly well in Clerks, but I still really like it. Where Dante says, "I'm just making a broad generalization," and Veronica says, "You're making a generalization about broads." I I really like that little exchange <laughs> that they have when they're when he's painting her nails and they're talking about yeah, how many, yeah. uh, people they've had. So I just like that little yeah. exchange. I thought it was it just it didn't land very thirty seven in a row in a row. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that one. Every time, yeah. Yeah. I love that bit too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy goes off and starts following her. That's probably the one we've quoted on the podcast the most. Like yeah. 37 for some reason yeah. comes up all the time. We always like one of us jumps yeah. on it every time. Also, we have to we have to have a conversation about bringing phrasing back. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I've been watching our show. Um there's uh <laughs> the one when Jay is talking about blowing Silent Bob at the beginning near the beginning of Clerks. He's like gonna go down oh. you like a circus <laughs> seal or whatever. Oh, I love that bit because he's like, "Oh no, you fucking faggot!" Blah blah blah. He's just screaming at Silent Bob. He's like, "Someone <laughs> went down on him." And I was like, oh, "Jay, you're a fucking yeah, you're a lunatic." Yeah. I love you to death. The one that gets me as a theme park fan is uh, the Mall Rats. Women want romance, not Mister Toad's wild ride. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Brody. Be fair, all right. Everyone wants Mister Toad's wild ride. <laughs> yeah, he's got like one of my favorite like one off where he just walks into a scene for no reason in that in this movie where he walks up and he's got the underwear on over his jeans. Like, <laughs> what I made a sexy, sexy chick. <laughs> yeah, the scene just keeps going. Like he does it. He's wearing the underwear. And, like they just keep doing whatever the scene is supposed to be in there. But it's like he screams it at the yeah. start. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any others, or should we uh, should we finish off, guys? We move on to geek cred. I think we can move on. All right, let's do that. Let's move on to geek cred, which is this will be the the Christy Bolton Memorial uh, <laughs> segment of our podcast. Since this was her idea, where uh, we just recommend something to you that we've been digging, whether it's new or old or whatever, something we think that you should check out. So, Paul, what is your geek cred for this week? Um, I mentioned this to Mark a little while ago, but I dove into the, an old book by Daphne du Maurier called Rebecca that I finished a while ago, but it's one of, it's probably one of the best books I've read in a really long time. It's a classic and it was made into a movie by Alfred Hitchcock, but because of the Hayes code, they had to like make it a lot less ambiguous and a lot less fun as a result. So if you're into like kind of dark romance and literary fiction and things like that, check out Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. It's really, really good and kind of, it's a, it's a little bit long, but it's definitely worth diving into. Cool. All right, Mark. Um, I've been, I don't know why. And if you haven't watched Archer at this point, like you're obviously fucking up at your life. <laughs> but like, but I, for some reason it was on Netflix, I guess. And I just was like, not really in the mood to pick something new. So I threw on the first season of Archer and I'm now in the sixth season. So mm. I'm going to recommend Archer because I'm just going to recommend Archer because why not? Because you should have seen it already. Probably. You've never seen that one. It's eh, him. Like you watch, have you watched it? No, any? no. I watched all of Archer. You, you watch Archer, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we can do an Archer episode now. We did do one Archer episode a while back, but uh, we definitely get another out of it, I think. I think uh, maybe we didn't. Uh, when did a new season come out? That's got to be coming up. Yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah, the last one was the last one was good, not great. But these. The last couple of them Yeah, these like period great, seasons have been like, kind of weird. When I'm watching them, I enjoy yeah. them. But then when I like, I'm like, I don't go back to them the way I would go back. To yeah, them. yeah. The first few. Like five seasons. I was like, oh, man, this is a lot of fucking fun again. Like, it's super witty super cutting all the time like it's great like snappy dialogue all this stuff all the stuff we've been talking about for this entire episode and mm-hmm. i'm like 
oh man, it starts to really like flag like once they get into like dream world and shit. This yeah, yeah. It's like there's like storytelling, but it's not as rewatchable. Like yeah. I I mean, I appreciate what they're doing in terms of and, and they are doing some cool homage kind of stuff, but it's it's not for necessarily the same core audience that Archer had from the start. Yeah, I miss the original like cast and stuff like that when I get into those seasons because like they're kind of there but they're not and it's like like yeah. I miss Creek being more like prominent and stuff like that because like the last couple seasons where he you find out he's a clone and all that kind of stuff like I love that shit like all the weird sneaking around him being a boy from Brazil and stuff just makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I don't. Archer. I I want more Sh- Cheryl as Cheryl and not Cheryl as somebody else kind yeah. of thing. Like I just yeah. I love oh, the yeah. insanity of Cheryl. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. All right, my geek cred for this week is going to be something we already talked about this week, but it is, I'm just going to say, you should read Dune before this movie eventually comes out. It is a total fucking masterpiece of science fiction. Frank Herbert is one of the best science fiction authors that we've ever had. You owe it to yourself to read it before this movie, which is seemingly going to be fucking epic, comes out so that you can have that comparison and, and see, you know, what they leave in, what they take out, that kind of thing. But uh, I think you should really have that frame of the original book before you go in and see this movie. So hmm. go read Dune. It, it'll, I, I'm telling you this with plenty of warning because it is, it's a dense book, but it's a good book. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It is really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, I will say thank you everybody for listening and just, let us know what you think about the Jersey trilogy and about the sort of news about the future of dance robot dance that we shared with you earlier in the episode. And you can do that on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast. You can send us an email at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. If you are not already subscribed to our podcast, you can do so at the uh, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, or pretty much anywhere that you get your podcast from. And with that, I will say thank you, Paul, once again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And say goodnight, Mark. Have a good one, guys. And this is Tim saying goodnight. And poopy trim. Poopy trim. <laughs> oh, shit, guys. Yeah. Oh, and we have something special for you tagged on to the end of the episode. We're on fucking Spotify. Yay. And Yay. you can get us on Spotify. Yeah, I just wanted to check, but uh, we are definitely on Spotify. Nice. So that's pretty fucking cool. I'm very fucking excited about that, actually. Awesome. Cool. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Black Rage! (laughs) (laughs) Hey, dear dears. Sorry you haven't heard from me recently. In the last two months, a pretty big things have been happening, and I've realized that it means I'll have to step away from my regular hosting duties. As much as this sucks, I can assure you that I'm not gone permanently. <laughs> I'll be coming back as an irregular guest slash host when I can, and we'll keep the geek cred going. In the meantime, <laughs> you're in the capable nerdy hands of Tim Mark, and now more often, Paul! Exclamation point. I'm sure you all enjoy the deep dive the boys will take. Music and more. And when I do return, I'll stick it up with Harry Potter trivia. No one knows. My love of Gareth Vagarian. And awkward tentacle porn references. Signed, Christy. Perfect. <laughs>
<laughs> Son, Chris. 